control ourselves or are we controlled by others is life a nightmare with soft soft colors or a beautiful beautiful dream interrupted by dark dark shadows do we do we really ever wake up do we remember the truth or do we die with a lie? Only time will tell. Only time will tell. disaster like eating a burrito before sex well hello (laughs) (laughs) welcome back dear listeners to that horror show podcast on this month's episode we bring you the final chapter part three of our ray dennis deckler episode retrospective we'll be covering three films tonight the hollywood strangler meets the skid row slasher the Las Vegas Serial Killer, and One More Time. All this and a brand new Kids Corner with Nate, where we cover Prey, the Hulu movie-exclusive prequel to the uh, Predator franchise, and we also have a few surprises along the way. So, Christopher, what's good with you, my good man? Man, not much. Just um, gearing up for this episode on this uh, rather uh, nice-looking day. Um... I'm very happy that we did not get hit with any snow. I'm <laughs> past month or so. I'm though I'm sure you were uh, oh, not happy about it. It's, it's been a slice of heaven. <laughs> but it's all melting, isn't it? Come on, it's all gone, buddy. Except for this a small little pile that's in the, our our cul-de-sac, which was uh, about uh, six feet high before. So yes, it's 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 all gone. It's moving in the direction right direction. We've got. We're starting to see green little sprouts of grass come up th- uh, through the uh, dead uh, grass and the hay, that's th- or the grass that looks like hay right now. Um, yes, but two weeks ago, we got socked with it big time, uh, and it was only lasted for about 
mm, less than about 48 hours. But it was enough to break trees, knock down trees, block uh, streets, uh, just cause, you know, you know, a minor chaos everywhere. General <laughs> havoc in your yes, area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but then it was gone. That happened. I want to say two Saturdays, two Saturdays ago, two Saturdays ago, and um, right the Saturday before Easter. And then I want to say the week later, no snow <laughs> or very little snow, and we have even less now. Uh, yeah, but it was just enough to be a clusterfuck for about uh, forty-eight hours. But I am thankful that we've had the last few days. I want to say last three or four days, we've been wearing shorts. It's been about 60 to 80 degrees. It's been gorgeous out. I'm looking at my bay window right now. You said it's, it's, it's sunshine. We've got like gray and rain. So it looks more like <laughs> Seattle. Uh, but that's going to be gone by Monday. Uh, right now, for your recording purposes, this is uh, Saturday, uh, April 15th, 2023. Oh, and by the way, happy belated birthday, Christopher. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Tim. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's good to be 39, I guess. Oh, kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but uh, real quick, though, Tim, you, you mentioned now that the snow is gone. See, the great thing about winter it, well fall and winter is the uh you know it's sort of like the hibernating uh months mm -hmm. but now that spring and summer will be upon us that basically brings you out into the floor to do what yard work <laughs> so, yes and that, so. and, it, and that means picking up six months worth of dog crap and uh, picking up <laughs> twigs and crap like that it's uh it's, it's a hoot um and I'm always tempted to hire one of those businesses. They have like this this puppy service called Doggy Doo Doo or something like that, where they come out and pick up your six months worth of dog crap for. You don't I, use it as fertilizer. Come on, man. Well, it's, it's got, <laughs> some of it's going to turn into fertilizer. Believe me, it's been out there since November under the snow. It's it's, right, it's it, right. there's not much to some of it's not much to pick up, but you want to at least try to hose it off and try not to step in it and let it dry and blow away. Hopefully, <laughs> but. Um, you know, that's great, though, too, because I I was out in the yard looking around and I did some stuff recently. I, you know, I put like new mulch down and that kind of thing. I, I got I actually got to call someone to do the um, I forget what it's called, but they have that machine where they like put the plugs in. You, oh, you yeah. Uh, aerator. Aerator. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but I'm looking at the yard and even though we did get a little bit, but not a lot of snow, it was like very minor. You know, once when everything's melted, it's like you see the, the remnants of things like garbage bags and like mm -hmm. like a like a coffee cup and sh that somehow just managed to get into the yard. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, I got to go ahead and like check the yard and pick this shit up. I mean, this is ridiculous. Come on, yeah, you know. You, but you know you know, here's the thing. Snow is beautiful for about a couple of months out of the year. And it covers everything, makes everything look pristine and clean and white. And then you realize once everything like melts and it's like, oh shit, like it's like it's like your uh all your dirty laundry is being aired out for everyone to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, I'm just trying to uh, I'm trying to get some of that stuff set up, uh, get the yard taken care of and um I'm trying to think what else do I have to do? I have to you know, oh well, just, you know, the just to, the basic shit and make sure it's all right. And then once when summer comes along, then it's going to be lawn mowing and uh, fertilizing and that kind of thing. But yeah. besides that, I mean, that's, that's all I got going on. And I'm, I'm sure you've got more exciting shit going on on your end there, Tim. Well, this has been yard talk with Chris and Tim. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we, so nothing. We hope, okay, you're, right. we hope your mulching goes well. <laughs> no, uh, I, you know, it's just it, I, lots of still lots of running around. Um, so, uh, summer is upon us right now. Uh, we've got probably about a month and a half left of school. And I'm looking forward to the break, uh, both the kids and I. I cannot believe 
uh, my son Nathaniel is going to be graduating out of elementary school and going into middle school. And when we, and I think I mentioned this uh, a couple months ago on, on another podcast where when we first started this podcast, he was just in preschool. So yeah, now it's, it's kid. <laughs> oh boy, I am old as fuck. <laughs> now, are you going to try to send your kids to camp? On summer? Um, well, here's the thing. We, we've, they've got I, – I want to, but they're, they're involved in so many sports, camps and different things. It's it's really hard for them to – we're already paying for, like, the sports stuff. So it's, like, really hard to say, hey, guess what? You're going to go to a overnight camp for a week, <laughs> because, and it's going to cost us another four or $500 or $500 when we've already, you know, purchased, like, uh, the weekly – gym passes and you know football and baseball as we starting up my daughter still has got dance and she's got gymnastics so i'm thinking possibly maybe next summer when my daughter's yeah. not much going on yeah. but yeah i would i would probably wait i mean who knows maybe you'll end up sending them to like you know camp crystal lake or something <laughs> i want to go to camp crystal lake <laughs> yeah but you don't want to end up right. yeah. <laughs> you want to end up dead <laughs> well no no I, I i'll go to what was the camp in the burning <laughs> Go to that one instead. I don't even know if that one had a name. <laughs> I can't even remember. Can't kill you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that'd be great though if someone did make a slasher movie about like young kids. I'm not talking young kids like late teens. I'm talking like you know the kids that are oh, can tre- uh, tread carefully, Chris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they go to camp. <laughs> They're eight years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Christopher, there's rules in horror movies. You don't kill I, kids and you don't kill dogs. <laughs> well, I didn't say they get killed, but I mean, like, maybe the counselors get killed. But I mean, okay, well, all right, that's a different story. As long as, long as they're 16 and above, they're, they're fair game. <laughs> but I mean, you gotta, you gotta, like, you gotta, you gotta break some of the rules here and then, here and there, Tim. You heard but, it here first, folks. <laughs> but yeah, no, but uh, yeah, you know, it's funny though. I've never been to camp as a kid, so I don't, I, I can't relate. I don't know. Have you been to? Yes, I, I, I think I, I think you've been to camp. Yeah, yeah, I, I've been to camp. I want to say when I was going into uh, middle school, it was an overnight camp. It was through the YMCA when we were in Chicago when we lived in Illinois, and we uh, ended up. Um, it was somewhere within in the upper, um, a little past Chicago, because I remember going uh, on a one of the we, we did a canoe ride up to Wisconsin, and mm. we and it was like an overnight trip, and we canoed from our campsite to uh, a campsite in Wisconsin, and we you know we we slept overnight in tents, and we roasted hot dogs and marshmallows and did all that kind of stuff. But yeah, we were gone for I want to say almost two weeks. Um, but we were, but most of the time we spent on the cabin and on the, on the property and, you know, doing basket weaving and dances and archery, <laughs> all, all, all that fun stuff. Oh, you know, taking your, uh, your canoe test where you have to wear a life preserver and you flip the canoe over and you try to get under the canoe and all that great, uh, summer stuff, all this stuff that you've, you've seen in like, um, a million TV shows and movies that uh, depict what summer camp is usually like. And we had food fights and we had, you know, things where, we put shaving cream on other people's people that fell asleep, you know, um, in the bunks. We'd uh, we'd actually throw all the bunks, bunk mats or uh, bed frames into the, or the bed uh, bedding into the middle of our our camp or, or the uh, boys' cabin, and we'd jump off the top of the the um, the bunk beds like wrestling style. We were all pretending we were Macho Man Randy Savage delivering elbow drops <laughs> into, into nothing. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was a interesting experience, and I believe all. Uh, Boys and girls should have that kind of experience at least once in their life. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know if that's going to happen for our kids just because they're so involved in 
sports right now um and that takes up a lot of time and and they and they seem to love it so we're just going to keep doing that i mean i'd like to get the kids out of the house overnight for a week where you know just be me and the wife for a while <laughs> but <laughs> we'll see <laughs> Well, and you know, like I said, who knows? They may end up at Camp Crystal Lake, or they may end up at Camp Krusty. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to Tijuana! <laughs> <laughs> Please not the boy. Please not the boy. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, no, that's that's great, though. I mean, well, and then your kids are also, like, doing, um, like, um, are they doing, I'm, I'm trying to remember now, are they doing, like, 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 like baseball or any kind of like, well, uh, yeah. Uh, so for instance, um, I'm coaching, uh, uh, Nate's flag football team. Okay. Co yeah. co co coaching that. And that ends in, I want to say about three weeks. That ends at the end of, uh, April, beginning of May. Then we got about a week break and then baseball starts up and that takes us all the way to right about, uh, the end of July. Hmm. Then we get another week break there, and then tackle football starts, and that takes us all the way to ho almost Halloween. So yeah, we're, we're yeah no, it's uh, then there's a nice a nice break because I guarantee you right now we're in the thick of it. But by the time October rolls, end of September, beginning of October rolls around, we're looking for a break. Even the kid, even my son's looking for a break. I'm like, oh boy, I mean, because we, we've been going nonstop for almost like nine months. <laughs> so and then, he's like, Dad, come on, I'm tired of playing these sports, man. Let's let's do something else. <laughs> right. Well, well, that, well, then then it's just training and just kind of relaxing and playing video games. So, I mean, that the uh, off season is a little easier. I mean, right now. Uh, this is he, technically if he wasn't doing flag football, which is only one night a week on Friday nights. Uh, it, he's just doing, you know, ex, he's just going to the gym four times a week to, to work on strength and conditioning and speed and lifting weights. And he's doing fantastic there. Um, so if it's, if there's no other sports, it's just that. And he's been doing that since December. So, you know, he needed, he needed something to do during the off season, not something really time consuming, but an hour a day, four times a week is not too time consuming. So we, we do that. Um, and he, he seems to really enjoy that. Uh, so, good, good. yeah, I mean, and my daughter, she's, she's constantly going like today is Saturday, right? So I'm taking my son to, uh, um, to, to our, his gym, his, his, his workout class in about an hour and a half or so, or an hour. And then I got, then he goes there for an hour. Then my, my daughter comes back. She's at dance right now. She's got that for like another hour. Then she comes back for like an hour and a half. Then I, t then she, then I have to take her to gymnastics, which is about 25 minutes from our house. And she's there for four hours. Then tomorrow night or tomorrow, we have to wake up at the ass crack of dawn on a Sunday. And she's got to go to St. Paul to compete in a dance competition. Her first dance is at 8 a.m. So we have to be downtown ready to go by like seven. Yeah. <laughs> then after that, that goes to about uh, two-ish, right? Then she's got a, a, another gymnastics like end of the year party where she's going to go to a a, a, a swim a swim a, a indoor water park and have pizza and cake and all that stuff like that with her with her buddies, which is great. But that's the weekend. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what the actual f? I mean, I remember when we were kids. There'd be times, there'd be long stretches where we didn't do shit. <laughs> like we watched movies and we rode bikes. Then that was about it. <laughs> That's oh, the good old days, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, with that, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we get into the no, meat and potatoes? No, nope, potatoes. I, I think I'm ready. But first, don't you have a little um, a little review with Nate's coming yes. up? Yes. So thank you. So with that being said, let's head over to Kids Corner. Or, sorry, with that being said, let's head over to our Kids Corner segment with Nate. We'll be right back after this. 
Hi, I'm Nate, and welcome to Kids Corner with my dad, Tim. Hey, that's me. Uh, Kids Corner will cover family-friendly films and TV shows. And maybe not-so-family-friendly movies. <laughs> so, listen in. Why do you want to hunt? Because you all think that I can't. I saw a sign in the sky. I'm ready. My only Nita. something out there. I'm coming with you. You can't. I'm trying to protect you. Protect me from what? It's time. I'm Nate, and I'm joined by my father, Tim. Hey, dude, how's it going? Good. Welcome to summer. Uh, it's not summer yet. I still have, well, like, three weeks of school. <laughs> well, we have, like, three weeks of school left. But when this recording drops, it will be summertime. So, happy summer. Happy summer. <laughs> okay. Oh, so, wow. Nate, what film will we be covering in tonight's Kids Corner segment? Prey, a 2022 film. Oh, that's a Hulu exclusive, so uh, if you have it, please check it out. If you don't have Hulu, Wait, get it. If it. No, it says down here, it says, um, it says, it says Hulu for the United States, Star Plus for Latin American, America, Disney Plus International. Okay, so if you're international, look for it on Disney Plus, and if you're, uh, that, that's a good thing, Nate. Hulu, United States, and Star Plus for Latin America. So... Boys and girls, children of all ages, check it out on those streaming platforms. Okay, Nate. So why don't you give us a quick rundown by the fine people over at Wikipedia on what Prey is all about. Sorry if I butcher some of these names. Do your best. Yeah. Prey is a 2022 American science fiction action film. Yeah. 
in the Predator franchise. It is the fifth installment and is a prequel to the first four films, being set in an, in the Northern Great Plains in 1719. The film is directed by Dan Tachenberg, so. written by Patrick Asen. It stars Amber Mid-Thunder, Dan, Do Dakota Beavers, um, Dane DeLargo, Michelle Thrush, 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 Thrush. Michelle Thrush, Stormy Kip, <laughs> Julian Black, Antelope, and Bennett Taylor. The story revolves around a young, young Comanche woman, Naru, who is striving to prove herself as a hunter. She finds herself having to protect her people from a vicious humanoid alien that hunts humans for a sport as well as French fur traders who are destroying the buffalo and they rely that they rely that they rely on for survival. Who relies on for survival? The predators. No. Or the the people sorry. The, the Comanches. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the predators the predators eat the buffalo. <laughs> no. Okay, so Nate <clears throat> Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being scary, 1 being not scary, what would you give this film? Maybe uh, 10? No, 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 not 10. Sorry. That's okay. It's, no, it was, it was, not, 10, 10 is the I highest? Being, it was a joke. Okay. Probably like a 2 or 3. Okay. Really? A 2 or 3? So you go from 10 to 2 or 3? It was a joke. Dad. Okay. So you didn't find it very scary. Um, no. But how did you like the overall atmosphere and the acting and the direction of the film? pretty good it tells us that predators have been around for thousands of millions of years well hundreds of hundreds of years <laughs> hundreds of thousands of millions of years well i don't know if they were here in the dinosaurs but yeah okay yeah they've been around for many many moons <laughs> so yes i thoroughly enjoyed the direction and the um the cinematography of the film i really thoroughly enjoyed it from top to bottom this is my second time seeing the film and i highly recommend it um, I'm one of those people that falls in the category that this is probably the second best film of the Predator franchise behind uh, the original, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger from 1987. Well, you think this movie is better than the original? I said it's next. I said, oh. I said it's, it's, they're the same. Everything else follows after. Yeah. They're comparable. So I, I really love the theme of the film uh, that this woman warrior is trying to prove herself not only to her own tribe, uh, but to... Uh, the, the males in her own tribe, but the males and the French fur traders. Yeah, because and I think women at that time were like um, farmers. They, like well, they were like the housekeepers. Well, do you remember your history lessons? Yeah, hunters and gatherers. Yeah. Men traditionally hunted, women gathered. Uh, that's how it went. Um, and But she was trying to prove a point that women can, can do, do anything, anything yeah. and they truly can. They can do anything men can do. Correct, and some, cool. and, and and sometimes, and most of the time, better <laughs> uh, if given the chance. So this film, to me, was absolutely rocking. Um, it wasn't overly violent as some of the other Predator films have been, but they don't shy away from the gore. It's not overly gory; there's not buckets of blood. But I don't think they show human blood. They, no, they do. They do. They but do. Not a lot. Well, the thing is, with the aliens' technology, there's not a lot of blood splatter because it's all. Uh, the the weapons kind of cauterize the blood right away. So as they're chopping off limbs, they're not, you know, gushing blood out, except unless they like cut, um, you know, your your stomach or something like that. So, uh, and the aliens' blood 
can kind of tell it's fake. It look kind of not. It's green. It's it's, it's supposed to be different. I know it's fake, but in some scenes it looked like it was like more shiny than other times, and like it sometimes it looked more edited in than. Uh, I, okay, I, I don't get that, but that's fine. That, that's your opinion, um, and I respect that. Uh, but yeah, the the overall tone of the film is fantastic. Um, it's about uh, two hours, I say, and some change, or maybe a little less. Maybe like an hour, hour fifty. Hour fifty seven minutes, yeah, but with uh, the credits and stuff like that. So honestly, I give this movie a thumbs up. Uh, in my opinion, it's great. It's not suitable for young children, but for let's say kids that are like eleven or twelve, I think you're maybe in you're 10. In a, yeah ten. Maybe you're in a good ballpark if that's what they want to watch. If not, just base it on your own kids. Um, you know, uh, yeah. Don't opinions try to yeah, don't thoughts. try to force stuff they don't want to watch. Yet. Right, right. So Nate, uh, on a scale of one to ten, you said uh, two being kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, do you give this film a thumbs up? Yeah. Okay, uh, perfect. Would you recommend this film to any of your buddies in your fifth grade class? Soon yeah. to be sixth grade. Wow. Yeah. So, would you guess? Yes, I would. Okay, great. So, Nate, name your top three moments of this film. I think number one has to be when they were, when the Predator was attacking the French colony, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Okay, while Naru was there trying to get away. Yeah. Yeah. Um. There. And okay, number two. Number two, and, then, and a lot of these probably will be overlapping because yeah. the scenes kind of flow together. Um, number two probably is when the um the bear um and the predator were fighting. Okay, okay, and number three. Number three, it's probably when they were um what's it called like hunting the tiger. I could I remember they were oh, on the well, tree. Oh, okay. Looking for the oh, tiger. so at the very beginning of the film where they were looking yeah. for the... Okay. Yeah, okay. I couldn't put in words. Nate, I, I, I completely agree with all those. Those are great Those are great selections uh, of scenes from the, of the film. Um, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I love the bear scene yeah. where the bear is attacking the mountain lion and then Naru goes to kill the bear. Well, and then misses. And then misses and the bear gets angry, but then gets into a big fight with the predator. <laughs> like, like she was hiding under a wood stack. The bear was like hissing at her. It was just so close to her face, and then the predator comes up from behind, and then, like, a few seconds later, the bear thinks he's defeated, the predator starts to walk away, mm -hmm. the predator gets back up, and then just, like, slits open the bear's... Yeah, yeah, made it quick work of the bear. Didn't break a sweat. Uh, but I will add this, I love the final battle scene between Naru and um, yeah, the predator. I thought I thought she kicked ass, much like Arnold Schwarzenegger did in the, uh, in the first film. Yeah, wait, was he in, like, the first three films? No, just the first film, just the first oh. film. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and they kind of left it open for a sequel, obviously. Yeah, because they showed like the alien ships in the credits. Well, in the, in the, kind of in the background of the, of the, yeah. of the paintings, right? Yeah. Of, yeah. So hopefully we'll get another prey, maybe, uh, we'll see. Cause I would like to see how Nauru and the Navajo on the, the Navajo. No, Comanche. Comanche, Comanche, sorry. Comanche, no, nope, uh, my apologies. Comanche, take on uh, predators if they come uh, down again uh, yeah. during the uh, yeah. during this time period. So. And I think the part was funny where um the when they were attention when they when the predator was attacking the last French guy, <laughs> whatever you want to call him, Jacques, yeah, <laughs> pants, <make it> like, <laughs> um, he like she took the. Predator's masks off because she you know that had the light that controls the missiles or the right, arrows. Right. Stuck it in a tree by the quicksand, 
And then when she was running to the quicksand, the predator ran in. She like kind of choked him to sink him, but oh. that didn't stop him. Yeah. And then she aimed the he aimed the arrows at her. Right shot it, yeah. but the arrow's controlled by the light, and that light was pointing at the predator's head. Back at his head, yeah. When it came back around, and... And then? <laughs> and then she tapped his head off. And then? And then, I will kick you in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think we've thorough, we've covered this film quite well. Um, so, Nate, why don't you tell the dear listeners what they can expect from next month's segment? We're going to be doing the original Predator. Ooh, from 1987, starring... Arnold Schwarzenegger. If it bleeds, I, I can, can kill it. it. <laughs> Have a great day, day and night, morning, wherever you listen to this. And we'll see you next month. Um, bye. All right, Christopher, we're back. Take it away, my good man. All right. Well, in the late 1960s and early 1970s, there was a new breed of filmmakers that would take the horror genre to a whole nother level. In 1968, a small film studio called Latent Image, which was spearheaded by uh, George Romero, John Russo, Russell Strider, and Rudy Ricci, wanted to break out of making TV commercials in their hometown of Pittsburgh and break into the movies. So they made a little ditty called Might of Living Dead. You know, the film played well theatrically, and the reviews were I mixed. I never heard of it. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but despite the company not procuring a proper copyright on the film, Night of Living Dead would receive continuous exposure on television and second-run and third-run theaters by bootleggers that managed to retrieve a release print worthy of duplicating for themselves. I have so, at least three copies on different DVDs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm sure they're all from, like, different printing elements. Oh, they, they all suck, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the best one, though, is the Criterion Collection release, so, you know, get that one. But uh, soon, critical reevaluation would occur for the film, and Romero's career would slowly ascend in the mid-70s with movies like Martin and Dawn of the Dead. Uh, in 1972, two nobodies by the names of Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham... Who the fuck are those guys? Yeah, I know. Well, they were toiling away behind the scenes in the world of X-rated cinema, looking for a way to break into standard drive-in exploitation air. That opportunity came via a Boston-based film distributor by the name of Stephen Manazian, who wanted to produce a film of his own that he could screen for his own movie theaters, as well as offer it to the competition. Cunningham secured the financing from Manazian, while Craven would devise a script entitled Krugen Company, a whimsical tale of four criminals abusing, raping, and eventually murdering two young girls, and then the criminals receiving their comeuppance by the emotionally distraught parents. The film was originally being toyed with being a gruesome horror movie and a hardcore porno, but the actors played the criminal characters managed to convince Craven and Cunningham to focus on the violence and ditch the porn. The end result, that sounds like a, almost a Freddy, there's some elements of the Freddy Cougar uh, movie from Nightmare on Elm Street in there. Yes, yes. And then the end result was titled The Last House on the Left, which was then handled by American International Pictures and managed to gain controversy over the violent aspects when released. The careers of Cunningham and Craven didn't exactly take off immediately. Sean would hang around the low-budget scene for a while until Stephen Manazian assisted in raising the funds for Friday the 13th which would be picked up by none other than Paramount Pictures for theatrical release, and his career was solidified. Wes would toil backwards in the porn with The Fireworks Woman in 1975, and then make a comeback with The Hills Have Eyes in 77, and it would be a slow but steady ascent for Wes. In 1974, Texas-based filmmaker Toby Hooper was looking for the next best idea to tackle in order to get his foot in the door. 
He had previously made an unseen little art flick called Eggshells, and needless to say, it didn't exactly set the world on fire. But once Hooper teamed up with writer Kim Henkel, the two managed to conceive the story for what will become The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, filmed on colorful and very gritty 16mm film and featuring a ragtag cast of performers bringing enough of their A-game on a production made with minimal funds and tough conditions the resulting feature was released by an indie company called Bryanston Distribution and became a surprise hit. Sadly for Hooper and company, it turned out that Bryanston was a mafia-based company in New York ran by the notorious Perino family, and whatever money the film made was taken by the mobsters. Nevertheless, Texas Chainsaw Massacre managed to catch the audiences unawares of its then-current extreme violence and grotesque horror for a film that barely showed exposed blood and guts on the screen. And despite Hooper clashing with producer Marty Rustam on Eaten Alive in 1977, being booted off the dark after three days of shooting and managing to keep steady with the two-part TV movie Salem's Lot, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the film that helped Hooper's career down the line in the 1980s. It was also 1974 that would introduce none other than John Carpenter to the big screen. He co-directed the science fiction comedy of errors Dark Star with future alien creator Dan O'Bannon. The film didn't make Carpenter a household name. And his next venture, Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976, would come and go just as quickly. But then, his next venture, Halloween from 1978, would redefine the elements that have now become de facto in the genre known as the slasher. And it should also be noted that even the major studios were slowly getting their feet wet with horror in regards to titles like The Exorcist and Jaws being a big hit at the box office. With this new guard entering the horror genre, one wonders whatever was happening to the old guard. Well, even with that said, some of the old guard weren't exactly horror mavens like the new team. For the old crew, it was just a business first and an art form second. I mean, H.G. Lewis and David F. Friedman made new ground with their $24,500 epic Blood Feast in 1963. The first to show dismembered arms and exposed intestines in glorious Eastman color with lousy acting and poor script writing taking a backseat to the proceedings. Lewis and Friedman would split their partnership, and Lewis would go on to tackle a few other gore-horror productions. After the Gore-Gore Girls in 1972, Lewis decided to call it quits, making movies for the following reasons. He was tired of being screwed over by distributors, he was becoming far more focused in his advertising business, and he saw that there were other filmmakers out there that were doing horror far better than he was. Roger Corman, who embarked on science fiction horror for the drive-in market in mid to late 1950s and eventually upped the stakes a bit with his color gothic Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft adaptations in the 1960s, had decided to step away from directing and spend the remaining portion of his career as a producer for his own company, the then newly formed New World Pictures, and bring in new talent to deliver product for his company. And while everything about the horror genre was changing in the 70s, where on earth was Ray Dennis Steckler? Certainly the man was no stranger to horror. I mean, he made the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies. <laughs> so you would think he had the energy to look at the changing tides and attempt to strut his stuff. Well... He made The Trooper in 1971, a rather lethargic, sedate, and near-bloodless and horrorless affair, with, and no one ever saw it. But that's not a huge surprise if you know anything about Ray Dennis Steckler. He wasn't exactly being very market-minded during the late 60s and early 70s era, and for whatever movie he made by his lonesome, he was focusing more on the film being catered to his taste rather than the audience. But that attitude would change for Steckler when he fell into the cinematic world of hardcore porno, and he would toil away in the 70s and early 80s, making bump-and-grind productions that he made damn sure didn't bear his name. At first glance, it would seem Steckler found his niche in porn and didn't claw his way out of it. But, 
as it turned out, Ray still had some gas left in him to rise above hardcore for a moment and attempt a straight horror movie with the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher in 1979. While certainly not a hardcore effort, the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher has the sleazy feeling of one due to its various scenes of strangulation and throat slittings. The film almost has the makings of a drive-in horror classic. I mean, seriously, the film has quite the gotcha title conceived for a no-budget effort like this one. But, once again, Steckler wasn't being very market-minded with his brief comeback. Ray claimed that he shot this with the intention of it being a silent movie. It's hard to deduce exactly what he meant by that, but Steckler claimed claimed that his original intention was to have just background, sound effects, and music, and no dialogue. However, once the film was completed, Steckler's distributors told him that the film needed some dialogue of sorts, and considering that Ray made hardcore productions with post-synchronized sound effects and narration... Ray himself uh, added narration for the Hollywood Strangler character. But even with that said, it's hard to ascertain if the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher received any theatrical distribution in some markets. Steckler claimed once that the film, that once when the film hit video, it was his best-selling title out of all of his other movies. Ray also claimed that Ted Bundy had a video copy of the film in his oh. prison cell. <laughs> oh, well, that's uh, fun. I know. Whatever you say, Ray. And despite The Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher being Steckler's first non-hardcore effort in the late 70s and featuring his soon-to-be ex-wife, Carolyn Brandt, that still didn't stop him from hiding under the directorial screen name of Wolfgang Schmidt. She wants it. Um, they all want it. They like it. She wants me to do it to her. Make her wait for it. Don't rush it. Slow. Slow. Let her wait for it. A little longer. Soon she'll be out of her misery. Soon she'll be out of her misery. Slow. Don't rush it. Yeah. I'll give her what she wants. I'll give her what she needs. What are you doing? Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher introduces us to Jonathan Click, played by Pierre Agostino, a middle-aged man who has a penchant for still photography. But poor Jonathan is hurting inside, as he ha- he was screwed over by his old girlfriend, Marcia. However, his hurt immediately turns to anger, as he decides to take his frustrations on hookers via the good old-fashioned way. Jonathan will phone a call girl using the whole, I want to take some sexy photo modeling rap, 
And then once when they meet, our intemperate photographer proceeds to strangle the shit out of the prostitute. Then, after the strangulation is over, Jonathan takes an interest in a nameless female used bookstore owner played by Carolyn Brandt and wonders if she is the gal for him. But what Jonathan doesn't know is that the female used bookstore owner likes to go out by the back alleys and slash to death drunken winos. Will these two for come funsies. together? Yes. Will these two come together and find out that they truly love one another? Or is Jonathan's fascination over the woman really just infatuation at best? Yeah, that's that's if you want a post-it note plot synopsis, that's it for this movie. Luckily it runs seventy one minutes, so you know, take it for what you will. But the you know, I, I will again, this is a testament to Ray. Um the Hollywood Strangler Meets a Skid Row Slasher is very well shot. It's tightly edited, but once again, it's like... There's no there's, story. There's no story, yeah. It's like... It, it, I think this goes back once again to Ray's personal viewpoint of making movies. He was always interested in capturing moments and incidents, and this movie, The Hollywood Strangler Meets a Skid Row Slasher, pretty much sums that up to a T, because... <laughs> Once again, Ray said he wanted to make this as a silent movie, and ba- basically by that he was saying, you know, he was gonna, you know, have background sound effects and music. There's no, there's no like really specific dialogue in this, in the, even even in the final version. Mm-hmm. But his distributors pretty much told him, you know, Ray, you got to have some dialogue in this if you want to try to sell it. So Ray added in some narration provided by the the, the Hollywood Strangler character. Which is actually Ray himself narrating the, narrating right. the movie. So, right. but yeah. what's in, but what's interesting is is that um, he provides narration for the Hollywood Strangler character, but he does not provide narration for the Skid Row slasher character, which is very interesting. But because you would think we'd get her story, you know, why she's killing, you know, Skid Row winos in in, in the back alley of her bookstore. Right. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, no, it, again, it, it, this is one of those things where it's like, it's actually nicely shot, it's decently edited, but yeah, the story is just so... It's wafer it, thin. It's, oh, it's beyond wafer thin. It's it's like you... Uh, is, is there something thinner than paper? Maybe parchment paper? <laughs> Maybe... Do you remember The Simpsons where, I, I forget what it was, where some pirate character says, you know, I've written my my, my treasure map information on this cracker that I'm going to give to my, my pet parrot to hold on to for safekeeping. And I'm like, yeah, that's where the plot of the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher is written on, on the back of a cracker. Right. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and every, and every time, every time the, the uh, Skid Row Slasher, because we don't really have a character name, we just call him the Slasher. Uh, he mentions Marsha. He just keeps thinking, uh, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha from uh, Brady yeah, Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, though, too. It's like, you can tell that the narration is added in later because he mentions, he keeps talking about Marsha, but you know, we don't know what it was that Marsha did to him that made him. Uh, apparently she did three other guys at the same time. So I don't did know. She? I, I don't well, know or did well, she like, well, did she divorce his ass and take everything he had or what? A, maybe a little bit of a, a little bit of B, but I remember there's being a throwaway line like, and she did, two guys or she was with these other guys and i'm like oh all right well she she was kind of a whore then or if she if that was the case she was she yeah. was fucking around on him obviously she was fucking around on the guy so but it's like so alluded to right even, even if you don't catch it or you do catch it right. it's still like well what 
what's going on here, so man? But, we, we we get we get a wafer thinner. We get a very thin, you know, uh, uh, reasoning behind his character's uh, uh, motivations, but we never ever get a motivation for obviously the bookstore owner. And uh, she's got some crazy, uh, you know, deep-seated animosity towards these poor hobos that just are drinking. And it doesn't even seem like they, they came into her shop a few times, but they didn't cause a ruckus. They didn't break shit. They didn't, you know, yeah. like, impede in, like, her customers, you know, uh, you know, um, purchasing or whatever it is. They, they didn't they didn't fuck up her business, what I'm trying to say. And they just kind of left. And I want to know her backstory because... The, her back room is filled with a bunch of satanic and weird, crazy shit in her break. In her yeah, back room. yeah. Like, well, Ray said in an interview. Well, first, one of the things Ray said that I think uh, I kind of agree with on him is that he said, you know, if you watch this movie, it's really, in his viewpoint, it's really more of a love story. And he's kind of right because it's about these two characters, the Hollywood Strangler, and then he meets and then he becomes infatuated with this woman that turns out to be the, the scary slasher. And he's infatuated with her and he's sort of like trying to figure out who she is and like, you know, what her intention is. And, 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 and she kind of sort of is the same way a little bit. Now, obviously if Ray was recording live sound on this thing, he'd have some dialogue where the characters would ask those questions, but no, they, he doesn't. So, but anyways, um, but he said that, um, why she, you know, if you, if you look at it, why she's killing, you know, Skid Row bums, you know, he said, well, okay, um, had an abusive father and was a drunk. Okay, there you go. It writes itself. But to be fair about it, you know, if Ray was here and told me that, I'd say, but Ray, there's no moment where she talks about that. <laughs> it's yeah. like, there, there, I mean, there's no talking. She has yeah, no dialogue. Well, there's no, there's no narration from her saying anything about it. So, I mean, you can infer that, but you know, it's, it's like, well, you got to at least have the characters mention it <laughs> or, or something, but that would require dialogue. That would require right, something. Right, right. <laughs> I, and, and, and you know how Ray shot this about, for those of you out there who are curious about this, I mean, yes, Ray could have shot this on 60 millimeter with a synchronized sound camera and do it. But I, I think what, how he did it with this movie was he shot on a 60 millimeter Bolex, like he did with rat think boo boo. And basically for those of you out there that don't know what a 60 millimeter Bolex is, it's a much smaller camera. It probably holds about like a, like a hundred or 200 feet of film and it's a wind up. So what you do is you have to wind up the side of the camera and you wind it up and then it'll click. And then you put the wind down. And then it's a spring activated motor so you can shoot footage on it, but you only get about like 30 to 60 seconds worth of footage and then you got it and it'll stop and then you got to rewind it again and, you know, same process over and over again until the film runs out. So, but a a 60 millimeter Bolex camera, you can outfit it with a crystal sync motor to record uh, separate, you know, synchronized sound. But again, think about it. You're only going to get six. 30 to 60 minutes worth of footage and you got to like clap the, the clap stick in front of the camera and you got to get like, you know, have the characters be able to, to do the dialogue for X amount of minutes or half a second. So what Ray did was he basically shot this without sound. And I think that's the reason why he wanted to approach it as a silent movie, mm-hmm. but I'll give Ray a lot of credit for this. It's very well shot and decently edited because you wouldn't think for one moment that he was shooting with a Bolex because he, he covers this movie pretty well. I mean, he's got close-ups, wide shots, over-the-shoulder shots, you know, reaction shots, everything that you can do to to, to piece it together. So, 
you know, in, in that sense, you know, the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher does play like a real movie, but, but the narration is what kind of gets to it. But I have to be honest, the movie does have this weird, almost like effective scuzzy atmosphere that that kind of works for it. And the narration itself is kind of effective. It's it, it's interesting to hear the the, the Hollywood Strangler <clears throat> go on his weird women hating rants. Right, <laughs> like there's right, like there's, right. a, like there's a there's a moment where and almost borderline dark humor because there's a moment where when he he goes to this one apartment with this one woman that he calls up that he's going to take pictures of before he kills her, and then he goes. And the narration goes, there was just something strange about it. And then he notices there's another woman there. And he goes, oh, that explains it. It's just another piece of garbage sitting here. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, really laying it on thick. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a. Um, and again, I, I think this movie would have done very well with the Grindhouse drive in. 42nd street crowd had Ray not approached a arty attempt at that. <laughs> had he just, you know, this would have probably been up there with movies like massage parlor murders and, um, um, uh, uh, Mardi Gras massacre had, okay, yeah. had, had Ray shot this with synchronized sound and with dialogue. You know? <laughs> well, here, here's the thing without, the, without the dialogue, without something more, it, the the film, in my opinion, gets very repetitive. Like he strike, he goes to the, he meets a woman, he they take off her top, he strangles them, he feels bad about it. He he goes back to his house, drinks a beer, smokes a cigarette, pets a dog, looks at his pigeons, and then goes out film, film uh, photographing again and kills another one. It's it's just it's it it's like there's nothing. I feel like there needs more to be said. There needs to be more to be said. Yeah, there really. That's the thing, though. Too, more that, has that, to be said. Yeah, there. It's an interesting idea. I, I, I get, again, I give Ray credit. It's an interesting idea that he wants to make this movie. Wanted to make this movie about two characters that are pot, even though they're both psychopathic killers, mm-hmm. they both possibly might be in love with one another. Okay, but like you said, it gets very repetitive because we get, you know, like the movie has a pretty decent opening. You know, we have a, we have, we have the Hollywood strangler taking pictures of this one girl dancing in front of him at her house Mm -hmm. and the narration kicks in and it's, 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 it's decent. And, and then eventually he strangles her and it's like, okay, the movie's like, you know, on its way. Now we know what it's about. And then, Mm -hmm. and then we get more, like another scene where he strangles another woman and it's like, okay, now we know about that. And then later on we see the woman that this hot strangler is infatuated with who we never know her name at all. Mm-hmm. It's almost like she doesn't even have a backstory. And then she's out killing skid row bums. Oh, okay. Wow. Here's a, here's another revelation. And then once again, we're back to him strangling hookers and then we're back to her strangling skid row bums. And it's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I, but, I, but they I, never, they never try to talk to, they never try to connect with one another. Well, in this movie. Well, here's the thing. Is, and, I, and I like the idea of like, okay, one for one, but then meet. But there's gotta be, there's gotta be some sort of like meat. There's gotta be some sort of glue. There's no glue. There's no meat. There's no, there's no, there's no, um, well, there's, a couple, well there's, a, there's like one moment where he like goes and there's actually a couple moments where he goes inside the bookstore right, and like, they exchange glances. Yeah. 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 And Great. then he walks out the bookstore and it's like, 
but they're, they're, okay, so I get, I get almost all them. All, I, I get. Oh my, take it off. I, I get. I understand where he's coming from, or where they're, where the characters, I guess, motivation are with some of the kills they do. But there's one murder where, where he strangles someone in a parking lot after she goes grocery shopping in her Trans Am, and we we get no. He wasn't taking pictures of her. He, he just he just oh yeah she's unclean. Um, so now he's, he's, he's almost kind of breaking the mold, but they don't do anything with it. It's like, they, I, I don't understand. He's like the, the one that got away. I, I, <laughs> well, that's interesting because that girl he kills in the Trans Am is, is she was there at the bookstore. Cause there's a scene where he's at the oh, bookstore. Oh, the young girl. The young girl. Yeah. 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 Too young. Like, yeah. Yeah. The young girl, she was at the bookstore and he goes in there and he kind of gives her like a little bit of a stare down. And, you know, she's like, ah, oh, whatever, leave me alone, buddy. And then leaves. And right. but, but he, yeah. makes, he makes a, he makes a point of saying, oh, she, she's, she's too young. She's too in it. She's not for me. Then why would he go back to her? Well, because at one point he said, she's young. She's no good. She's young. And he goes, I can tell, I can tell. And this, you know, dreary narration. And, uh, and then eventually he sees her. So, I mean, I, yeah, it's like, he decides to just kill her. Doesn't give her, doesn't even try to pull like the whole, I'll, I'll take your picture, sexy photo wrap or whatever. And, uh, but just kills her in the, in their car. And yeah, you're right. No one notices it. It's, she parks in like a near empty parking lot. No, right. but, but it's, it's still the, it's, it's still the middle of the day. I'm like, yeah, I get that it's an empty parking lot, but it's off a busy street. Somewhat, I mean, there, there's and they, and they do they do shots where he's sitting there smoking a cigarette, and leaning up against a building, leaning up against a car. You know, he's got his camera on, and there's people walking back and forth. So someone somewhere have got this has got to see this. It's not like it's dark alley like where uh, the, the the bookstore owners kill these these men, where it, it, she's got the cover of night and there's no one around. Yeah. I mean, this is broad fucking daylight, not in someone's apartment, not in somebody's house or backyard. This is in a parking lot off the side well, of the main street. And not, and not only that, but it's like, you know, he's killing these, he's killing these, um, he's killing these prostitutes. And there's like never a moment where like, there's a radio announcement that the police are trying to figure out who the killer is or, right. and, and you know, any leads of any kind. Well, and, and, and we were, it's like it's the most isolated incident. That yeah, it's, it's like this guy's just walking around with the Wild West, just just strangling bitches. And there's there's no – and at least without the, the previous Ray Dustecker movies we reviewed in the part one, at least there'll be – and he uses radio. He, yeah. He, oh, he's breaking news. We've got, you know, so-and-so murdered and hops around the hot trail they're they're investigating – Nothing. I and this is what kills me. And I told you off air about this. And like, I would have preferred. I'm like, they didn't have to catch the guy right away. It would have been. Co- it would have been cool if. And now this is me thinking. It would have yeah. been cool if the Skidrow slasher was a female cop that was like working at the bookstore because she got, <laughs> but that she got a lead that this guy could be the killer. And that's how. So she's going undercover. Yeah, yeah, but but because of because of the police work that she's done, and because of how you know, Jade. I know it sounds so ridiculous, but but oh, nothing's too ridiculous now, Chris. Come on. But 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 in my opinion, I think it would have added an extra layer to the concept. Is that because she's so sick and tired of the crime and the and 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 and, you know all the shit that's going on in in the area that she lives at that she decides to take the law in her own hands and kill the skid row bums that are like you you know something like that so that would have been like i would have thought that would have been like an interesting idea if they remade this there's motivation there there's there's, yeah if if they remade this because like because like i said 
Start writing why that script, she, Chris. Start writing that script. I know. <laughs> like, why is she killing these bums? I mean, like, what are they doing? Are they depreciating the property value that she has in the building or something? <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that area looked pretty seedy to begin with, with the, with uh, the yeah, porno yeah, yeah. movies and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's, a, there's a porno theater playing a double feature of Deep Throat and Devil and Miss Jones. And <laughs> and and there's these wino bums drinking. And, and, and classic wino bum, you know, stereotypes. Yeah, oh, for, they, oh stereotype big time. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're all disheveled and they're all drinking their booze out of a out of a bottle yeah. that's covered a by bag. a paper. Right. I mean, the, <laughs> all, the only thing that's missing is like the little fumes coming, like the cartoon fumes coming off of them. Like they stink and they're really drunk and they're yeah. with the red eyes. Now, um, there is an interesting story that Ray tells about how this movie technically came about. I mean, he he did say, yeah, he wanted to do this movie about the two characters coming together. and But according to another in- interview, Ray said how this movie came about was... He uh, was teaching a film class in Las Vegas, and he, uh, you know, he he told the class, "Hey, you know what?" Because they were talking about how you can make a film for very little money, and he said, "Well, you know, I'll I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go shoot some footage or something, and I'll edit it, and I'll screen it for you, and you tell me how I did it." So the scene he shot was the 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 first sequence of the Skid Row slasher killing somebody in the back alley. Okay. So he shoots that and he shot that with only two lights, you know, and, and, he, and he edited it together and he showed it to the class and he said, okay, screen it to them. And then he said, okay, tell me how I shot this. And they all gave their opinions. Oh, you shot this with 10 lights. You shot this with like three different cameras because it's edited very well and blah, 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 blah. And then Ray, and then Ray finally dropped the truth on them. He shot it with two lights and with one camera. <laughs> Suckers! <laughs> and, 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 and because of that, that made him say, okay, now I shot this footage. I'm going to go shoot this film. <laughs> so it's amazing how motivated he got with that because, you know, people think, oh, you can't make a movie with one camera and two lights. Well, oh, here it is. Ray did it. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that the class didn't even know. <laughs> and those were two tr- lights were used in every single scene of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but anyway, so uh but yeah, it, it now it's kind of hard to talk about this in like order because like I said, the, the strangler kills someone, then the skid row slasher slashes someone, strangler stranglers, slasher slashes, blah 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 blah. So that that's basically literally this the entire seventy one minute movie. But um, now the interesting thing, though, is about the lead in this movie, played by Peter Agostino, the, who plays the Hollywood Strangler. Uh, according to Ray, uh, this guy came from either Brazil or Belgium um, and came to America, and he did some movies in Las Vegas. He did a film for a fe- by a guy for a guy by the name of Charles Nazette. Uh, called uh, The Ravager, which, by the way, uh, if you ever check this movie out, it is completely over-the-top ridiculous. It is a sexploitation revenge movie about a guy who goes to Vietnam to to fight in Vietnam, and he comes back uh, slightly deranged and decides to blow people up with dynamite. Well, fun! (laughs) That's that's the entire movie. <laughs> but anyways, uh, and, and so Agostino did some films in Las Vegas and eventually hooked up with Ray Dennis Steckler. And 
Agostino was doing some, um, he had some like varying businesses and one of the businesses he had was like being a house painter. So Ray somehow got together with him and said, uh, Hey, you know, I want you to paint my house. And, and Agostino says, yeah, okay, I'll paint your house. And then, and then eventually they, they got back together and then he braces them. Okay. Well, I want you to paint my house, but I also want you to be in my next movie. And Agostino said, why? And he goes, well, I never had a house painter as a lead actor. <laughs> and, and Agostino says, what? And he goes, oh, I, I'm sorry, Pierre. It's just my weird humor. I've never had a, I've never had a house painter be the lead star of my movie. So that's how he got Pierre Agostino to oh, be in this goodness. <laughs> And he got his wife, his, his soon-to-be ex-wife, Carolyn Brandt, to be in this film. And if you notice, Tim, Ray mentioned this. He said, in the beginning... Carol kind of looks like she's not as attractive, but then later on as the movie progresses, you see that she's changing her wardrobe and looking a little more prettier. So so I don't know if you ever noticed that, but that I I didn't know she looked a little more haggard in uh, this film than blood shack. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but then later on she got a little, little prettier and everything. And then every, after after each hobo she kills, she gets a little bit more attractive. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. So almost like a weird vampire motif. Right. (laughs) She needs the blood of hobos to make herself young and beautiful. (laughs) And now another thing I got to mention is, okay, so the Hollywood strangler, what he does in this movie is he, he go, this was back in the seventies when like in, uh, in Hollywood, when uh, there was like a slight, abundance of like porno theaters i forget in what area i think maybe close to hollywood boulevard and you also would be able to find uh trade magazines or or like those thin newspaper things that you where um that were soliciting prostitution but doing it in a very like skirt the law devious way nonchalant way basically where it was sort of like, you know, the whole call girl thing. But because now I have to explain this, because if anybody watches this movie, if you think about it, why is this guy calling up these random women and like taking pictures of them and then wanting to have sex with them and he ends up killing them? Well, it's because um, one of the things that they they did is that to skirt the whole prostitution vice squad thing, um, some some prostitutes would advertise themselves as being photo models okay so you would call them up you would say oh okay i want to take your picture for the for some photo modeling gigs and you know obviously they'll tell you it'll be like 100 bucks or whatever so you would go there as the client with a camera with probably no film in it and pretend that you're taking pictures of them and then eventually you you know have sex with them and that was a lot of work (laughs) yeah but i am explaining that because like i said it's almost like he's just calling up these random women and then you know he's taking pictures of them and he kills them and it's like are these random women just that like clueless enough to like have this guy (laughs) chris did did have explained this to me off air because i'm like why is he going to all these like magazines and newspapers and having to pay because I, I, honestly how it's framed in the beginning is he's a photographer usually uh, uh someone's paying for the photographer to take these pictures but then you see the 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 smut magazines and newspapers and like and then he keeps saying about how he wants to find love like he and marcia had but yet he's 
going to prostitutes. Yeah. You're not going to find love with a prostitute. This isn't Pretty Woman, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it certainly does predate Pretty Woman. Oh, it does by about thirty years. <laughs> but but there's also one moment in the film that I thought was very interesting. I, I laughed at. I actually forgot about this. When he kills this one woman later on in the movie, like later on in the movie, I'm talking about like 50 minutes in, mm-hmm. he strangles this girl after he's taking pictures of her. And then he says in the narration, I wonder how the pictures turned out, <laughs> but I don't if have I any ever, I don't have any film. <laughs> I don't have any film with the camera. And I'm like, so is this dude like pretending? Because there's all other moments where he's like out in the street taking pictures of random people walking by. Yeah, so, so it's like, does he, does he so, have film with that camera then, or is he just fucking around? Yeah, or is he just so? Does this is that for our benefit? <laughs> and, and in a way, I wonder if that was an. If you think about it too, there's never a moment where he like is like processing his own film. He goes and takes the pictures of these women, then he strangles them, then he goes back to his place and has a Budweiser, or he's petting his pet pigeons, or he's like petting his dogs. But we never see him develop his own photos. Yeah, so he should have, he should have a dark room somewhere, right, with a bunch of naughty photos. <laughs> yeah, so it's very likely that he he really doesn't have any film in the camera. <laughs> this this camera's broken. It's been that way for three years. <laughs> but yeah, Marsha left me. <laughs> yeah, and but it's it's just. Like I said, it, it, it's so topsy turvy in its weirdness. So, anyways, like I said, there really isn't much of a specific order that we can take you in with this movie because, like I said, it's basically just repetitive, you know, strangulation and slashings going on. Um, oh, there is one moment in this movie. Now, I said this movie was very tightly edited and very well shot. There is one weird moment in this movie, and I think Ray did this intentionally. Because he was, I think he was known for doing this. Um, there's a shot when the slasher is about to kill one guy, and she whips out the switchblade, and 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 you get a reaction shot of the of the drunken wino like surprise, and then it cuts to a shot, a close up shot of the switchblade, but it's already got blood on it, and then and then it and then she you know and then it. it she slashes the guy's throat and he's killed. So obviously it looks like a weird continuity error error. But right. I remember Steckler joking in an interview saying, you know, I've always wanted to make a movie where um in one shot a character is wearing a hat, and in another shot a character is wearing a different hat, and in another shot the character is wearing another different hat, you know, all together in like one scene. And then there's a pause and he goes, and then he says because you know everybody says my movies lack continuity. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Ray did that on purpose. <laughs> Cuz there's no way he would have missed that. <laughs> he would have totally have right. said I can't use that shot cuz there's blood on it. Ah. Whatever, I'll use it anyway. I'll I'll let the audience say bad things about me once again. <laughs> you know. So it's <laughs> So uh, we should pretty much talk about the big reveal. So now Tim mentioned there's a scene where the strangler goes into the used bookstore uh-huh. to see this woman. I believe the second or third time. Of the- yeah, yeah. And, and he walks into the back room and her back room has like a coffin with like a skull 
like and, a skull painted on it, and like, like these ancient, not ancient, but like these medieval like uh, weapons hanging yeah. on the wall. I suspect those are and props. tapestry, fine tapestries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have to say, I suspect those are props from um, maybe from like a previous Steckler porno or something. It it feels like that's what they're Still, probably very, very very odd for a back room of a of a of a used bookstore. <laughs> yeah. It, it, anyway, so. He sees those, but interestingly enough, our intrepid strangler doesn't really bat an eye to them. But anyways, so uh, he goes back there again, and he's staring at her, and of course the narration No dialogue whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, and of course this narration is like still going on. He's like, could she be the one for me? Could she? And then there's a moment where they're still looking at each other, and then he says, no, she's not. She's just like all the rest. And he walks know, right she's up. She's got those long, beautiful legs, man. She's like, I got her feet up on a desk. I don't know. I man. know, man. I don't think he really gave her much of a chance. Yeah. But anyways, as soon as he's walking up to her, she whips out that switchblade. And then she stabs him in the stomach. And then she strangles. And then he strangles her. And then she's stabbing him. And yeah, strangling. she stabbed him like four times or more. And, and, then he start, and then he staggers outside with blood on his, on his stomach. And he's saying in the narration, Marsha, Marsha, where are you, Marsha? And then he wanders out by the porno theater playing Deep Throat and Devil and Miss Jones. And then he falls over dead. The camera, like, it's a wide shot. The camera pans up to the movie theater playing the double feature. <laughs> and, and then the and, end. And the end. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> you, know, here, you know, here's the thing. I was, I was almost hoping for the... Um, the woman, because because once he strangles her, she's spinning around in her like office chair, right? Her blades yeah. down. But I'm thinking maybe she's still alive, like you know, yeah. Even, because I was expecting her eyes to pop open, you know, like something to like signal, like okay, she's gonna live on to still. Because is there, there? There's no sequel, right, to this film? Uh, no, there is. We'll be talking about that later right, on. Right. It's, so I was I was hoping that there'd be they'd, they'd both be alive for the sequel, at least one of them. Yeah, it, it's it's a or as I like to call it, it's a, the Las Vegas serial killer is a quasi sequel. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so none, none, we'll, none of the same characters. And I use characters loosely. <laughs> yeah, but what's interesting about this whole film, The Hollywood Strangler Meets Skid Row Slasher, is you know, it, it's it's the concept of parallel obstruction that Ray tries to use about the two characters coming together. Because if you remember, Tim, when I reviewed some of Ray's hardcore films, he made a movie. I'm after, trying to block that out of my mind. You can't well, really bring that shit back up. <laughs> just, just as a quickie reminder, he made a film, I think, a year after this one called Red Heat, which was. With Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, not with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> With Peter Agostino and Lovey Goldmine in it. But anyways, <laughs> it basically, that film is almost like a slightly pre like a follow, a slight follow-up to The Hollywood Strangler Meets Skid Row Slasher. Because in that movie, it featured Peter Agostino playing this dude that, uh, you know, cheating on his girlfriend. And then his girlfriend kills her with a switchblade. And then she goes out killing a bunch of people that she's, you know, like meets up with. And, and, and in the meantime, it's like with nondescript footage of hardcore porno with other actors and everything in it. But it, but, but here's the thing. There's, it, a, there's always a but or two. But, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, or a couple. However, it, it's, it's done in the same way as a Hollywood Strangler. It's a Skid Row Slasher. It's, it's, there's no dialogue and it's narrated by Carolyn Brandt talking about how she was trying to make it 
playing the character of Cindy Lucifer, talking about how she's trying to make a porno film, and then she's talking about the Lovey Goldmine character, even though, you know, it's like, how would you know that Lovey Goldmine's character is going around slashing people? You're not even near her. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, so Ray, I think, kind of got, got stuck into this weird um, uh, funk of shooting the film in which the two, the two characters or several characters eventually meeting up and, you know, col- or in this case, colliding <laughs> with one another. <laughs> but, yeah. So, anyways, um, I don't think there's much we can say about the Hollywood Strangler that meets the Skid Row Slasher. Yeah, <laughs> the no. movie is. The movie is literally as basic as PB and J. <laughs> now, whether or not it goes together, like you know, uh, Bleach and Ammonia is is <laughs> oh, up the, it's to you, but uh, <laughs> the viewer. But I mean, I, I'll be honest. I don't particularly love this movie. I do agree it's very repetitive, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to give it a thumbs in the middle because it is decently made and it actually is constructed pretty nicely in terms of the technical end of it. So that's as far as. Of a of, of of a recommendation as I'm going to give it. So, but thumbs in the middle. It, For you. it doesn't. It tries. It doesn't quite succeed, but it tries. Yeah. Um. Well, I do respect all the technical aspects uh, of the film. Um. Yeah, I'm going to give this a thumbs down. Um. Just because the I I wanted more, and I yeah. thought I thought coming off of uh, Blood Shack, like I was exp- I, I, my expectations were a little higher than. Uh, before with let's say the teenage mutant zombie ninja turtles of the world movie uh, that we reviewed the, beginning <laughs> the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies <laughs> I'm never gonna remember that time I'm just gonna make up my own <laughs> but just you, call under, oh you know what Tim just called under its re-release titles the diabolical Doctor Voodoo or teenage psycho meets Bloody Mary <laughs> oh fuck dude you're giving me more words to remember goddamn. <laughs> More words. Um, we have a show to do, Tim. It, it, it involves words. <laughs> uh, must say words now. Um, no, I, I like I said, I will. I I, I like the idea yeah. of it, I, and like we said, it's just poorly executed. Um, and the story. There's so much. There's so much more that could have been done. I think this movie, given a proper budget and having. Someone re- really write the script, and then instead and of just synchronized doing synchronized sound, <laughs> right, and synchronized sound. That goes without saying. Um, maybe maybe a couple of voiceovers here and there, because you know that, that gives the, uh, the the killer uh, maybe a justification, maybe at some point of the film. Yeah, but I wanted more. Carolyn Brent had no dialogue. Yeah, there's a lot. It was it was basically you say it was a sound film with ambient with ambient sound. Um, yeah, and narration, <laughs> and narration uh, by Steckler himself, and. So yeah, for that I'm like, I'm gonna have to give this a thumbs down. I want, I want. Here's the thing: is I wanted more, and I got less. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but if if you guys are so inclined, dear listeners, it is on Tubi, com- almost commercial free with limited commercial interruptions, and uh, you can catch that there. And I believe uh, that's all I have, Chris. Do you have anything else before we no. end our intermission? Yep, no, I have nothing else, man. So yeah, we I guess we can go to our intermission, All buddy, right. and then we can come back for our next one, the Las Vegas serial killer. <laughs> oh, you're killing me, Small. You're you're getting ahead of me. Yes. So with that, let's head to with that being said, let's head into our intermission. We'll be back with our second film of the episode real soon. So hang loose, we'll be right back in just a few moments.
Okay, Christopher, let's press play and take it away, my good man. Yes, in the 1980s, the new guard of the horror genre were making their ascent to bigger and better projects, some even financed by major studios to boot, with fair to middling box office results. George A. Romero was still in independent filmmaker mode with Night Riders and Day of the Dead. Creepshow would be released by major studio Warner Brothers, while Monkey Shines would be distributed by many major Orion Pictures. And then it was back to small scale with Dario Argento on Two Evil Eyes. Sean S. Cunningham would have a rather healthy distribution deal for Friday the 13th. And while Paramount Pictures would embark on the sequels without him, Cunningham would go on to produce his share of horror like the House franchise and other oddities like Deep Star 6. His buddy Wes Craven would ping-pong between studio-based production, Deadly Blessing, made-for-TV horror, Invitation to Hell, and then back with major studios for Deadly Friend. It, it would be the modest-budgeted a Nightmare on Elm Street that would keep Craven's career and his name afloat. Toby Hooper would get booted off directorial duties on Venom with Pierce Haggard taking over, but Hooper would end up making the funhouse for Universal Studios and then heading over to MGM collaborating with none other than Steven Spielberg. Well, some would say co-directing, but that's not an argument from another time. On Poltergeist, a studio contract deal with Canon Pictures secured Hooper a chance to make big-budget epics like Invaders from Mars and Life Force, and then Cannon cut the budget for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and after that, Hooper headed back to low-budget non-studio finance territory. John Carpenter would briefly stick with mini-major Avco Embassy for The Fog and Escape from New York, and then he would find himself at none other than Universal Studios for Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and The Thing, and then make a brief detour at 20th Century Fox for Big Trouble in Little China, then dovetail the Columbia Pictures for Christine and Starman, and then it was straight back to Universal again with Prince of Darkness and They Live. And, for shits and giggles, we shouldn't forget that John Landis, the man responsible for directing Animal House and the Blues Brothers, had decided to whip out a script he had written at age 16 called An American Werewolf in London, took that property to Universal Studios in 1980, and, well, the rest is history. And while that was going on, the old guard making cheap exploitation horror for the drive-in market was no more, and the drive-ins and grindhouses were slowly checking out as well. So where did this leave Drayden Esteckler? Did he ever manage to make it in the big leagues or even stick to making his own personal projects? Nope, he was still toiling away in porno, making one wonder if Ray could ever <laughs> get a break. But while Steckler's cinematic career was a non-happening, his cinematic past was coming back to haunt him, but in a good way, thanks to that term known as cult fandom. In the 1980s would become the era that movie fans would like to dub the VHS era. Home video was slowly becoming more prevalent in the homes of Mr. and Mrs. America, and later in Europe and Asia as well. What this resulted in was tons of older movies made outside of the mainstream to make their way to on VHS to be rented at your local video store near you. It was VHS that brought Herschel Gordon Lewis, Doris Wishman, Russ Meyer, and Andy Milligan, just to name a few, out of hiding for interviews in various genre-related movie mags and a few film festival retrospectives. And believe it or not, there was room for Ray Dennis Deckler's 15 Minutes of Fame as well. Camp Home Video was a small label specializing in direct-to-video fare. And it was Camp Home Video that licensed the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mix-up zombies, the thrill killers, and Rat Finkaboo-Boo from Steckler and his old producer pal George J. Morgan for VHS releases. Who knew these movies would have a second life after their theatrical screenings? And who knew that Steckler would be interviewed by the likes of MTV during a screening of his films in, in San Francisco? Of course, now that Ray would be exposed to the world as one of those on-the-fringe filmmakers... One particular question would be asked, what film are you working on now? 
surprisingly or not surprisingly, Steckler had a recent movie out through Camp Home Video titled The Las Vegas Serial Killer from 1986, an on-again, off-again project that Steckler was working on whenever he had the money or the time. The Las Vegas Serial Killer was a quasi-sequel to none other than The Hollywood Strangler Meets the Skid Row Slasher. Why Steckler would do a sequel of sorts to a previous project that didn't get much exposure is an interesting question to ponder. But it can be theorized that Steckler made the Las Vegas serial killer due to becoming ingrained over the cinematic storytelling device known as parallel construction. The concept for that device is rather simple to understand. Take a bunch of characters and have them randomly scattered throughout the storyline and then have the characters intersect each other either uh, via midway or at the end of the movie. It was a storytelling technique that Stickler used to interesting effect in the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row slasher, as well as in his hardcore porno slasher hybrid Red Heat. And, just like with the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row slasher, the sequel was shot the same way, on a 16mm Bolex camera with audio and sound effects added in post-production. And, just to keep the sequel aspects consistent, Despite Steckler admitting in interviews that the Las Vegas serial killer was his baby, the on-screen credits Wolfgang Schmidt as the director. WQXQ has just learned that the Nevada Parole Board has approved the release of self-proclaimed serial killer Jonathan Click from the state prison at Gene. The Las Vegas Serial Killer opens in Las Vegas, in which middle-aged photographer Jonathan Click, played by Pierre Agostino, is doing his thing, which is calling up prostitutes disguised as, quote, photo models, unquote, and then strangling them to death. Eventually, Jonathan is caught and sentenced to prison. After six years have passed, Jonathan is released from prison due to, a, uh, due to a legal technicality of sorts and heads back to Las Vegas and immediately begins right where he left off, which is strangling some nondescript woman at a pool party held by former famous Hollywood actor Cash Flag. <laughs> Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan then gets a job as a pizza delivery guy and tries to live the straight life, but once again, he just can't help himself and manages to grab a camera at a photo shoot after strangling two models, and thus Jonathan clearly is back to his usual shenanigans. In the meantime, two dudes, Clarence, played by Ron Jason, and Jack, played by Chris Cave, head to Las Vegas to do some hit-and-run thievery. Will Clarence and Jack eventually bump into Jonathan Click? Ah, it's a Regina Steckler joint, so the possibilities of that happening are not out of the question. Yeah, that's uh, that's a Las Vegas serial killer for you folks, and it's... Uh, it's there's, there's not a lot to go on. It's not a very not. deep movie. <laughs> we're, we're pretty much like stuck in the same situation when we talked about the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher, in which the, there's a lot of random <laughs> moments that happen in Las Vegas Serial Killer, but in terms of, like, catapulting the story forward, it, it the movie, and by the way, the movie, I think, runs, like, 79 minutes, so, you know. It really, it felt like four hours. <laughs> yeah, like four hours, though. But it's one of those movies, it, it, it's, it's, Another take on Steckler's idea of, you know, having the two, in this case, three characters, uh, the the strangling photographer and the two hit and run thieves, mm -hmm. you know, cutting back and forth between each of these 
character's you know wacky adventures of murder and mayhem and um eventually they will collide together at the end of the at the end of the movie kind of like the first movie kinda like the first movie yeah in which in hollywood strangling meets the skid row slasher you had jonathan click who falls or becomes infatuated with this one girl at a used bookstore and it turns out that she is a um uh skid row slasher killing drunken bums and the two characters never quite get to you know meet each other until the end and then when they do they both kill each other that's the end of the movie and you know and, and the movie ran 71 minutes and you know that's that's you know a okay so <laughs> for what it is but anyways uh, in the case of this movie <laughs> there is no love interest <laughs> at all no it's basically maybe his just, love of killing yeah, except this love of killing, man. Um, but again, like with the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher, this was shot on the 60 millimeter Bolex. Um, all the sound post synchronized, um, not badly done. Um, but uh, there is no narration in this movie, though, yeah. so you don't really get to go back to that aspect of the of the first movie. Well, yeah, because we all need to know the motivation between the guy because he's you know. Why he's killing people or killing yeah. hookers? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Though. I mean, and that's the thing. That I, I think Steckler really. I mean, he doesn't quite pay attention to the continuity of the first movie because in, in the first scene in the Las Vegas serial killer, we're introduced to Jonathan Click, and he's killing and strangling all these you know f- quote unquote photo models that you know, uh, and uh, he, then he gets caught. But it's like, but in the first movie. He got stabbed to death by, <laughs> by the woman that uh, he was infatuated with at the used bookstore. Well, yeah, because you didn't see him ever get arrested. We didn't see any EMTs try to save his life and him going to prison. No, no. So so Ray, in his creative way, decided to basically forget about the death sequence in. <laughs> then they should have brought uh, Carolyn back, too. <laughs> yeah, but I think at this particular point, they the divorce was final and they hadn't really, I mean, I, I, they hadn't really been seeing each other or at least, you know, I, I, am I'm, I don't know the, the, the full personal story of it, but I'm willing to bet that they've talked to each other, but as far as doing collaborative work together, not really. So yeah, they they seem pretty friendly in the, in the, in the DVD extra. Yeah. The the extra where they're, I'm sure time has passed and, you know, things have gotten squared away, but right. So anyways, um, yeah, the Las Vegas serial killer is like, I would say the only thing that's great about this movie is watching the footage of Las Vegas when it was Las Vegas, as opposed to now, which is like this, you know, ultra corporate, (laughs) you know, thing. But back in the day, it was very different. (laughs) And the the movie kind of is like a time capsule of that. Right. And if you, and if you guys are in Vegas and you ever want to see old Las Vegas, it's about, uh, fifteen minutes from the original strip. Like if you go yeah. down to the and um, because I, I was out there, I want to say, gosh, 11, 12 years ago, and it was it was it was cool. Maybe thirteen. Wow, thirteen years ago. It's probably changed since then too. <laughs> you didn't run into uh, uh, Jonathan Click out there at the time, or yeah, I probably um... wouldn't know him if I fell over him at that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't say any waivers saying I can't be in a movie or I can't be in a movie. <laughs> waivers? What waivers? Come on. <laughs> We just we just gorilla this shit. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing though too that that's so amazing about the the Las Vegas serial killer is again say what you want about it, but it totally feels like even though it was Ray and his little sixty millimeter Bolex camera, it totally feels the way how it's shot like 
almost like the you know it, it had an actual crew because you're getting like all these like like everything like the, the moving cars mm-hmm. uh the people walking around no one's no one's really paying attention to the camera right you know at one point there's there's actually a dolly shot following uh Pierre Agostino when he's walking through the strip even though it's 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 kind of obvious that they were shooting it from the side of a van you know out of a window right. but still i mean it doesn't really feel like it doesn't feel that way. It, it sort of does feel like you're watching a professional movie. It's, it's just, it's just missing the script. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that one important component. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. a make it up as you go along movie. <laughs> and then a flying saucer came down. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, now this is the first time I've seen this movie before. I think I saw it like a couple years ago and, I'll be truthful that I didn't really think much of it then. I don't think much of it now, but yeah. I, 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 but again, looking at it today, I am very impressed that Ray was able to get like, you know, all that nice production value footage of Las Vegas. And, you know, it, it, it's, but, uh, this is the first time you've seen it, Tim. And yeah, and, uh, and, I, the, it was, um, <sighs> It was okay. Um, it was something I'd go back and revisit again. Yeah, now. I wouldn't either. I mean, um, if I did, I'd it'd probably be like 10 years down the road. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, um, it's, I, here's the thing is, I don't mind voiceover work, but when it's, yeah. and, 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 you know, ambient um, sound, like for, for, to give like feel to the scene. But when it's, when it's 90 minutes or a hundred or an hour and 15 minutes of that, it really it takes a toll on me because I'm like, oh my god! When somebody say something, somebody do something. What's the motivation? Well, What's the story? yeah, I agree. It's like we we kind of know all the characters' motivations simply because it's well, showing yeah. us. But, but at but, the same but time, there's no, there's no distinct characters. There's no we don't even get oh, names. Yeah. We don't get names. Except- yeah, it's almost like the main characters are random characters, even right. though they're main characters. You know, I mean, we and again, it follows the same modus operandi as uh, the Highway Strangler meets Skid Row Slasher. You know, we. We see Jonathan Quick. He he strangles a woman. Then we cut to um, uh, the two uh, hit and run thieves, and they're right. doing and they're they're purse snatching. And then it cuts back to Jonathan Quick. He's like working at a pizza parlor, and he has to deliver a pizza. And then then and then it cuts back to these guys, and then they're doing another hit and run, <laughs> you know, thing. And then it's back to Jonathan Quick, and it's like it's it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and, right. and, and in terms of the editing and everything, it's fine. But yeah, it, but. I, it's one of those movies where it does need some dialogue and it does need some motivation. a coherent storyline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it needs a, it needs some motivation to like propel the story because yeah. you can have the characters walking around and mm-hmm. doing their thing and and, and, and it, that's the other thing too. It's obvious what they're doing. It's just the motivations behind it. You know, why are we like? What's the motivation behind these two guys? robbing people i mean yeah that's the motivation to rob people but why are they out of work are they are they just petty <laughs> thieves that yeah. do it for fun or are they i mean like what uh, these are like, career criminals <laughs> yeah like what's their deal and then back to jonathan click's character it's like what's what's the i mean if you hadn't seen the Hollywood strangler means skid row slasher yes jonathan click's motivation in the narration was that you know, his previous girlfriend, Marsha, did him wrong, and now he hates women, and he thinks all these hookers are that are going around claiming that they're photo models that he can take pictures of. You know, he thinks that they're all dirty women, and they're no good. That's fine if you've seen The Hollywood Strangling Meets the Skid Row Slasher. Right. But if you're watching The Las Vegas Serial Killer without the first movie 
you know, in the thought of your mind, reminding you that what's the point of this guy going around killing these photo models? You tell me, Chris. <laughs> I, I, well, I've, we've seen the first movie, so we know. But yeah. oh, that's the thing about even for not even though I, I would categorize this as a semi sequel. Yeah, yeah it, it's great that, you know, you're kind of starting anew and fresh and kind of like not following all of the contents of the first movie. Right. I, I you know, almost it, call this a soft reboot almost. Of, yeah. I mean, well, it's almost, you know, like, like evil dead two. If yeah. you watch evil dead two, right. it, it starts off like the first movie evil dead, but it's just Bruce Campbell and his girlfriend instead of the other three people that's right. with in the first movie. And it re repeats everything that happened in the first movie for about 15 minutes. <laughs> and then the movie begins proper. <laughs> but, oh. but in the case of Las Vegas serial killer, yeah, we're reminded that he strangles pro- prostitutes, but again, <laughs> it's the, the motivation behind all of it. Unless you've seen the first movie, you're never going to get it. <laughs> right. So basically so, all you need to know is that these two thieves, petty thieves, they rob people. He, uh, like strangler kills people and they go back and forth. Like Chris said, uh, two, two scenes that I, I thought, or one scene actually that I, I, I kind of chuckled a little bit was when they mug that one guy in Vegas, he goes, and the voiceover, he goes, Hey, this is my first mugging in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some dude's just walking around with his giant knapsack and these yeah. two guys try to rob him. And, yeah. and then he, he actually, that's why, I, and again, I'll give Ray credit. Unpredictability seeps in because you know, every time these guys mug someone, it's usually a woman and they take her purse, mm-hmm. but they go after this guy and then the guy takes his giant knapsack and starts whacking these guys over the head. And then the, the two guys are like, oh, let's get out of here. And he chases <laughs> them for about five feet and then he stops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he goes, wow, my first day in Vegas and it's my first mugging. <laughs> right. So, I mean, but um, yeah. So now uh, I was talking to Tim, talking to you before we were going to record yeah. and I'll mention it on here. Now the movie is all post synchronized, which is all the the, the voice work and uh, sound effects are added in, and it, it's pretty decent. But there is two sequences in this movie where they do have live synchronized sound, and it's the scene where this one old guy goes up to um, this one hooker and says, um, "You know, do you have anything for the shy type?" And then <laughs> there's one scene where there's a photo shoot. At a which, house. Yeah, at some person's house, which uh, Jonathan Click um, uh, goes over and just randomly strangles these two women <laughs> and then grabs a camera when the uh, the photo shoot team is not looking. Uh, those are the only two sequences, I believe, that have synchronized sound, according right. to actor Ron Jason, who played one of the hidden run muggers in an interview on the Blu-ray for the Radio Secular box set from Severn Films. And... Uh, I, I, it makes one wonder why exactly Ray shot these two specific scenes with synchronized sound. I can only assume that the reason why he did that was so that way he can inter, he could have a couple of scenes that have it. So that way, in case anybody, you know, any distributors or anybody that's willing to pick up the rights to the movie for a certain for a certain territory, complaining that the movie is entirely post sync, he can turn around and say, "No, it's not. There's two sequences in here with two live sound." <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's my guess. I don't right. know if that's actually. I'm assuming maybe true. he maybe he rented that camera with that for the day and got those two scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that. Well, according to Ron Jason, those two sequences were the result of that. Someone owed Ray a favor. Oh, so, okay. Well, so so so, but you'd think he'd try to get more sequences in there with dialogue and 
synchronized sound, but he just gets those too. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, there really isn't much to say about this. Like I said, it's like, so basically Jonathan Quick gets out of prison out of a technicality. We don't even know what that technicality oh, yeah. is, by the way. <laughs> right. And the thing is, they, 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 they considered him being uh, not right in the mind, I believe, because they only got caught him for one murder. and But he confessed to a, a, dozens of other ones, and they thought he was, you know, making it up and kind of crazy. Yet they re- yet they released him into uh, back to society. <laughs> um, and, and I'm like, and I, we were talking off air, Chris, about this. I'm like... How did they not find the other bodies? It's not like he was hiding them or getting, disposing of them in a really super secret way. Uh, yeah, he. Yeah, how would they not be able to find? I mean, them? you could I literally mean, probably trip over them. Hey, look, uh, Susie didn't show up to work today. Go to her apartment. Oh, guys, Susie's dead. Hey, what happened to Je- uh, Jenny? Oh, she's over there dead. I'm like, come, come on, guys, seriously. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly the cops and lo- the cops were not uh, paying attention very well. Well, also don't forget the Hollywood Strangler, Mrs. Skidrow Slasher, takes place in Hollywood. But in the Las Vegas serial killer, it takes the, the murders take place in Las Vegas. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so <laughs> well, I'm just pointing out something that never gets pointed out. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the consistency of the sequel doesn't quite match up with the first movie. But, the but one anyways, of many things that doesn't work. <laughs> right. But anyways. So he gets out, and he's just basically wandering around Las Vegas. There is one scene where he goes to a pool party, uh, and I thought this was kind of amusing, uh, in which um, the pool party is being hosted, but we never see him, by the former Hollywood actor Cash Flag. Yeah, they they only mentioned it about six times. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then there's a scene later on at the pizza parlor where the two criminals are eating, and they look up at the wall. And there's a poster for the incredibly strange creatures, and then one of them goes, "Hey, man, Cash Flag is in that movie." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, I see, I see a pattern here." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just Ray having fun. <laughs> but right. anyway, so so the Hollywood strang- oh, I'm sorry, Jonathan Quick goes out and strangles this woman at a pool party, and then and then afterwards he gets a job at a pizza parlor. <laughs> And you know what? I know Ray does never wanted to acknowledge his porno. Pat, uh, yeah. But that whole thing with Jonathan Click going to a to work at a pizza parlor and then delivering, a pizza. Deliver, delivering pizza at this one lady's house and she invites him in and he <laughs> takes her top off in the hot tub. It but, totally felt like you know, Ray was going back to right, that. Right. But if you remember that scene, I was just I want to bring this up. That scene. Where he's about to strangle her in the in the was that the same pool was that the same house they used yeah, in the original movie yeah it was movie? the same house so you can even though I like, it was I like I've seen this I've seen this scene before <laughs> yeah, yeah it's the same house not the same actress but the I same know. house yes yeah, and the same so, setup of the shots until the until the other people come into the shot so is Ray trying to say he's returning to a former scene of the crime or. He's just using the same house because that's Ray's house. I'm pretty sure that's probably it. I'm sure it's not that deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not getting Ray, all meta and everything. I'll, I'll give Ray credit for that sequence, though, where she takes her top off. Ray knew how to hire some stacked women, I can tell you. <laughs> so credit to him. <laughs> you want to make a quick 50 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to be in this movie? Come on, come on. <laughs> but I love it, though. But I love that, that scene because she invites him in, mm-hmm. you know, this complete stranger. He's right. deliver this. He's delivering pizzas to make yeah. some sort of living. I don't and, have the tip. 
come here. <laughs> right. And she brings him in the back and she takes her top off and sits into the pool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and and Jonathan's just standing there laughing and watching, and then all of a sudden he he reaches his hands out like he's about to strangle her. <laughs> yeah, and her friends come to save the day because the two other couples come in. And see yeah, 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 pool. and then he just runs out, even though they don't even ask. Hey, why is your top off in that pool? <laughs> what are you trying to do? <laughs> We're gonna have a party. <laughs> are you trying to tease someone again? <laughs> oh, Veronica, oh. put your top back on. No, 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 no. It's gotta be Oh, Veronique. <laughs> Or something like that, you know, something a little, a little exotic sounding. But, um, um, and then in the meantime, yeah, we get these like random sequences of the two criminals, Clarence, uh, played by Ron Jason and Jack, played by Chris Cave, you know, just rob, just mugging random people. Some of the, I did like the part where they mugged this one woman <laughs> outside of a building. Right. And, I, I and and you hear one of them yell, hit the road, Jack. And then they're running and they come across these two girls. And then uh, I think it's uh, the Chris Chris Cave character stops by and says, hey, girls, how are you doing? Want to go out? And then all of a sudden Ron runs over and, and grabs him and says, come on, we got to go. And they get in their little their little old jalopy jalopy car and the two girls are just laughing <laughs> saying oh would you look at that car they're driving oh my god who are these two idiots you know what i mean <laughs> right so but and then it's and again we get more scenes of like random mugging they rab a they they mug a uh a, a, a um i guess a businessman uh, too yeah yeah there's a point where it kind of does like reach the crescendo of like going from you know pe- like just mugging women and grabbing their purses to like going to some nondescript business area, <laughs> some, some office and robbing, uh, no, I'm sorry, grabbing some girl and throwing her in a, um, in a, in the back, in the, in the trunk of a car right. and then knocking her, uh, boyfriend out. Who's like this posh business dude. And then stealing an affair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, what do they steal there? It's like they just grab a bunch of papers and throw them in, in a briefcase and say, "Okay, let's go." And I'm like, right. "What? What did the they money? Yeah, you, what's worth money?" Yeah, for all you know, you're taking his coupons and his his, his junk mail. <laughs> yeah. So, and then to tie the whole thing together, while the woman in the the trunk is screaming for help, who happens to show up? Tim, <laughs> the strangler. Yep. And fortunately, the keys are. Uh, in the lock of the trunk. lock, and of course he opens it up, and and then I'm feeling, oh, you saved me! I'm like, you thank you. I'm like, nope, you you might as well just cut your mouth shut. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. and then he starts strangling the shit out, and he starts strangling the shit out of her, and then it's back to the same old, same old. Oh, we do get a rodeo sequence though. Oh yeah, Ray <laughs> loves his rodeos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Call, I guess that's a callback to the Trooper, aka Bloodjack. <laughs> so, rodeos and, and, and roller coasters. <laughs> right, right, right. And um, and then there's moments where like uh, the 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 two the two thieves or Jonathan Click will both be both end up at like some seedy bar watching some woman strip on a stage and you know and then they're kind of just there and watching and then it's back to the usual shenanigans and and then then and, and then there's a moment where um the strangler ends up at a photo shoot mm-hmm. and how he manages to get in there without anybody seeing him is anybody's <laughs> guess but yeah he, he's a denim ninja <laughs> yeah he, he 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 kills two he kills two photo models and then they find them and then 
and then he steals one of the cameras and then now he's back doing his you know you know photography bit which we can only assume he has no film in the camera like he said in the first (laughs) i'm just pointing at things (laughs) yeah i just point and i click and um so and like i said the movie like we said the movie just meanders between jonathan click and the two you know muggers and back to jonathan click and back to the two muggers and back and forth back and forth back and forth yeah and like a ping pong ball, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we finally get to the to the to the um, uh, the final scene, the final sequence where everything comes together, and that's and I and I will give it credit. I actually kind of liked how this went, <laughs> yes. even though even though it took to the end of the movie to get to this part. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so Jonathan Click is walking down a, uh, a uh, sidewalk, and in the meantime. Thinking about his previous kill, relishing the thought, yeah, 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 probably. And then the the two muggers are robbing this businessman, businessman going to his truck or car, yeah, right, right, right. And one of the, and one of the muggers has a gun. So this is the first time we see the gun at all. No, no, no. The first time we see the gun is when they were in their their little uh, motel. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. But then we never saw it again. You know, it, it yeah. never really like showed up again in terms of like the story. But anyway, so they come running out, and then one, and then the guy that's hold, has the gun, uh, Clarence, played by Ron Jason, he bumps into Jonathan Click, pulls the gun out, shoots Jonathan Click in the stomach, and and he falls down dead. Right in my stab wound. Ow! Yeah, <laughs> I know he dies literally in the same position, <laughs> the same spot, the same you know, area of his right. body like he did in the first movie. He got stabbed in the stomach, yeah. and in this one he gets shot in the stomach. <laughs> yeah. So, Jonathan falls to the ground and dies, but while the two um, muggers are running away, they throw the gun in a dumpster. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, this is this is like a 1980s PSA right here. Go oh, on. <laughs> it, it is. It is. But I got to say, I love it. Because yeah, oh, it's, it, it's, it's so cringe, it. though. <laughs> oh, cringe-worthy. come on. It's not that cringe. It's just, it's definitely, <laughs> well, I mean, as for, for a PSA statement, yeah, probably. But for, you know, yeah. ridiculously over-the-top movie, uh, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. all right. But so the... One of them throws the gun in the dumpster, and they get in their car. They drive away. Which I why would they? That's another thing too. Why would you throw the gun away in the dumpster with your fingerprints on it? Too? That I was just going to say the same thing. These guys are stupid. It's like they yeah, want to be guys are not really the best geniuses of like thievery I've ever seen in the movie. But anyways, so then there's these two kids. Like I don't know how old they were. Like maybe Probably like ten, ten or, or 11. eleven. Yeah, they're sitting on the on the on the on the uh, on a curb, or sitting on, outside of an apartment, or uh, a, a, I don't even know a, a business of some sort, like eating um, ice cream or something. <laughs> and uh, they go over to the dumpster. It's like, wow, look what I found. Yeah, and holding. And then, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm just waiting for it to go off. And then I know. You get, the, you get no, the freeze but, frame. <laughs> but yeah, and then what does the freeze frame say, Tim? Finn? Question mark. <laughs> no, no, it's not just question. It's Finn, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> and then it cuts to the credits. And if you watch to the very end of the credits. Oh, I did not. I didn't know there was a oh, post-credits okay, scene. Okay, 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 okay. So when you get to the end of the credits, like literally the end, like when it gets to like, you know, you know, this is, this, you know, Hollywood, it says the last credit is the name of the movie, The Las Vegas Serial Killer, mm-hmm. with a copyright Steckler Enterprises underneath it. And then it cuts to black after all the credits. 
and then you hear a gunshot go off. (laughs) Billy, no! (laughs) Billy! (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, Lord Almighty. (laughs) Hey, man, I got to give him credit. He took an opportunity. Right in a sec, where he takes an opportunity and he runs with it. Whether you like it or not is up to you. But. <laughs> and just FYI, guys, if you like long tracking shots, we got a, we got a movie for you coming up very shortly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we're coming up to the we're coming up to the the last of them here. But it's, anyways, yeah, that, so that was the Las Vegas serial killer. Yeah, I know we didn't really go into any specific depth about it, but because uh, there's nothing there, man. <laughs> It's 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 a mo- it's a film about that has it's literally the example of style over substance. Now, of course, it's not a stylistically shot movie, but in terms of like getting all the technical ends of it right, it, it gets it it gets most of it right. It's just the story is so lacking, the motivations are so few and far between, and it just it it, it it's a simple straight line story, but it just doesn't really like engage you enough and it takes forever to get there this is this this is a story it's like there's a lot it's a it's a lot of filler (laughs) yeah yeah this is the story about a guy that strangles people and two muggers okay possibilities but it you've got about like you know maybe like 90 or 85 percent filler (laughs) (laughs) of care of the characters wandering around vegas and you know uh, Jonathan Quick strangling a bunch of women and the two guys robbing people, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and going to peep shows or, or strip shows, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and again, it's like it's it's great. I mean, he does Ray does a good job getting like the production value, quote unquote. You know, I mean, but you just wish it all added up to something. So yeah, I mean, truthfully. Uh, it's a thumbs down from me, so I don't know. I'm, I'm certain. I'm certain I can read your mind, Tim. Let me uh, see. Yeah, you're the great Christini. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thumbs uh, down. Yes, thumbs down, sir. Thumbs <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. I, yep. I, 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 there's not like you said. There's really not much to say about it. It's um, it's kind of a retread of the same thing we've already previously seen, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready to move on, sir. Uh, so with that, let's head into our final intermission, and we'll be back after this quick break.
Okay, Maestro, it's all you. Take it away. Yes, well, cult fandom always comes in fits and starts, peaks and valleys, and for Ray Dennis Deckler, it was 15 minutes of brief fame. Yes, the Las Vegas serial killer was out on video, and Steckler's cinematic comeback was another one-and-done affair. But it was not back to porno. Ray stepped aside from that, possibly due to the idea of utilizing cheap video to photograph the sexual shenanigans as opposed to professional 60mm or 35mm film. Instead, Steckler decided to branch out in other directions, like opening a few video stores under the banner of Mascot Video in Las Vegas. However, Steckler would attempt another film project titled The Las Vegas Thrill Killers, once again teaming up with Ron Jason and Chris Kaye from The Las Vegas Serial Killer, this film was another on-again, off-again project that got some minor coverage on the British TV program The Incredibly Strange Film Show, hosted by Jonathan Ross, which featured an episode dedicated to Steckler's cinematic legacy. But what happened to Las Vegas Thrill Killers? Sadly, it was never officially finished. According to Ron Jason, Steckler began to suffer from heart problems, and he put that film and other projects aside. As the 1990s rolled in, it seemed that the once it seemed that the once new guard of horror was now turning into the old guard. George A. Romero would helm the dark half in 1993, and when box office results were dismal, Romero would stick around in Hollywood for a while, writing scripts on spec for major studios, which turned his work down over and over and over again. Sean S. Cunningham would find himself producing Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, and My Boyfriend's Back, and little else while Wes Craven would teeter between worthwhile productions like The People Under the Stairs and New Nightmare to garbage like Vampire in Brooklyn. Toby hey, Hooper, hey, hey, that was a great movie. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Mind. I guess. Toby Hooper, would engage, Toby Hooper would engage mostly in television product like directing made-for-TV movies such as I'm Dangerous Tonight or an episode of Tales from the Crypt or a feature-length horror oddity like The Mangler. And John Carpenter was still going strong with movies like In the Mouth of Madness, but also slowly on his way out of the mainstream after such duds like Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Village of the Damned, Escape from L.A., and Ghosts of Mars tied to his belt. The industry was a-changing again, but this time it seemed as if there were no new guards to take over, and the horror genre was surprisingly dormant for a little while. But then, in 1998... Wes Craven revived it with Scream, and suddenly a whole slew of major studio slasher flicks were made to capitalize on Craven's newfound success. Yet Craven decided to go one better, and make music from the heart with Meryl Streep instead. <laughs> and while all this was going on, Ray Dennis Duckler was just sitting on the sidelines, not really caring. Oh, sure, he made another movie, Summer Fun, from 1997, featuring his daughter Bailey Steckler in the lead role. But it was a family-friendly movie shot as a silent film with a music track only and photographed on camcorder-quality VHS. It didn't play film festivals, and Steckler sold copies to those who ventured to his mascot video stores. And it wasn't a horror movie, but oh well. In the early 2000s, a new breed of horror filmmakers such as Eli Roth and Ty West, just to name a few, emerged from the ether. And as it turned out, the new breed were fans of the old breed, from George Ray Romero and John Carpenter, down the line with Herschel Gordon Lewis and Ruggiero Diodato. And as it turned out, cult fandom managed to reinvigorate the real old... Go uh, I'm sorry. And as it... Actually, you know what? Let me start all over again for that. <clears throat> okay, okay. Uh, let me just see here. Take a beat. It's okay. Okay. In the early 2000s, a new breed of horror filmmakers such as Eli Roth and Ty West, just to name a few, emerged from the ether. And, as it turned out, 
the new breed were fans of the old breed, from George A. Romero and John Carpenter down the line with Herschel Gordon Lewis and Ruggiero Diodato. And as it turned out, cult fandom managed to reinvigorate the old guard for the time being. Ray Dennis Deckler was reinvigorated as well. He had managed to wrangle a DVD distribution deal with Media Blasters to get his films back out there on a new home video format. Adding to it, Steckler wanted to make another film, but this time he got it into his head that it should be a sequel to the film that solidified his cult status, The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed-Up Zombies. Steckler decided his follow-up would be a, quote, extension, unquote, under the working title of... The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed-Up Zombies, The Extension, One More Time. A much longer title grasping at the straws of an older cult movie with one <laughs> title. Steckler would eventually complete the movie under the under the finished title, One More Time. Financed by a Kickstarter through Steckler's MySpace page. Remember MySpace, folks? Uh, there was a... <laughs> There is a rather sad hint of irony in regards to the budget of Steckler's final production. Whereas The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed-Up Zombies was made for the, the then-princely sum of thirty-eight grand, one more time would be made for a mere thirty-eight hundred. Adding to it, while Steckler's early works were shot on professional uh, 60mm film and edited on film, Ray was now using handheld digital eight cameras, revealing the home movie aesthetic more so than before. A disappointment, for sure. And while One More Time is a sedate and rather, for a lack of a better term, depressing look at a cult filmmaker's attempts to follow up a movie made way back in 63, the film does have eh, one or two interesting moments that step out of the rather colorless and flat Digital 8 cinematography. Uh, so in 1990, Italian horror director Lucio Fulci made A Cat in the Brain, a film that portrayed a day in the life of a horror filmmaker, in this case, Lucio Fulci playing himself, a tormented movie director who is trying to figure out the difference between reality and his cinematic work of horror, all the while some nutty psychiatrist is killing people and trying to pin the blame on Fulci. In 1994, Wes Craven would make New Nightmare, a film that tackles the idea of reality versus non-reality as Freddy Krueger is brought into the real world outside of cinema. In 2008, Ray Dennis Eckler made One More Time, a film that also attempts to ask the question, what if the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies was all a dream, and that the main character, Jerry, is real or not? Sadly, Steckler ditched the nuance and humor that made Craven's film interesting, and instead relied on Fulci's new idea of using stock footage from sh stock footage shots from previous movies. In the case of One More Time, it's 15% new footage and 85% using clips from the incredibly strange creatures to pad everything out to 60 minutes. The result is chaotic and archaic. Uh, a non-film with a literal home movie quality dragging it down. So here's the plot, what little of it there is. Jerry, played by Ray Dennis Steckler, is having weird dreams about how he was hypnotized by a carnival gypsy in order to kill the exotic dancers at the carnival. Check. Jerry consults... Hmm? I said, check, got it. <laughs> yep. Jerry consults his psychiatrist to help him figure out what it all means. But when that fails, Jerry decides to look towards a gypsy psychic that tells the old man his future lies in death. And with that, Jerry finds himself wondering if he is killing people without realizing it or assisting in the creation of disfigured zombies. Is Jerry trapped in the dream or is all this oh so real to him? Yeah, well, you know. Uh, Which is it? <laughs> I would have preferred if it was the latter or the, the first part. Um, I think that would have been a much uh, 
better outcome. <laughs> well, I would have preferred one more time to be a lot more than just half new stuff and mostly oh, stock God, footage. Yes, yes. <laughs> but mean... yeah, I mean, I, look, I'll be honest. I, I, I like Ray. I like his attitude and I like some of his movies, but, and I understand that at this point in his life, it was 2008 that, you know, his health was in decline. So for that, I'll, I'll cut him a little bit of slack, but you know, on the one hand, one more time, I guess you could say is a personal movie for Ray, but at the same time, it just, it, 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 it's sad. It feels sad. To me, it makes me sad. It's sad because, you know that Ray wants it to be more, right? But because he can, he, he's not given the mo- the amount of money he wants to make it better or to do something with it. You know, he has to resort to you know the creative side of him, which is not a bad thing. But you know, he's using digital aid cameras that you know don't really have a very good. Um, you know, they're 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 the perf- at the time digital aid cameras were the perfect prosumer uh, camera. And I'm sure, I'm sure for Ray, it was they're, kind they're of great a, for home movies. They're great yeah, for, to, I mean, for, I mean, and I'm sure for Ray, it was like a blessing because, you know, the shoot on film and to take it to a lab and process oh, yeah. it, it costs money. So, I mean, I get why the digital eight route was for him at that moment, but the, you know, the film feel, the film looks very colorless. Yeah. Um, o- almost of, black and white. Yeah. Like, like very drab. Um, and, and perhaps that could work for what Ray was shooting for, but I, I, I feel that has more to do with the, the, uh, the mechanics of uh, what he had to work with rather than any kind of style. And the other problem is, is that, um, because of that, not only is the home movie visual aesthetic showing, but even the, even the handheldness of the shots feel like you're watching someone, you know, operating a camera that's like a very, 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 very new at what they're doing. <laughs> you know, a, a beginner. Let's put it right. that way. Like I'm certain, Tim, you and I both remember our days oh, in yeah. our youth where we would grab a, a, a camcorder yeah. and try to figure out how to compose shots and zoom yeah. in, zoom out. Oh, fast, too fast, too slow. Okay, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then of course impressed when you look at it like oh i shot something but then as as time wears on and you try to improve your craft you realize yeah what i did 10 years previous doesn't look as good as what i'm doing now but here it feels like it's kind of more of a step backwards for ray like because again whether you like uh you know rat think of boo boo or hollywood strangler me skid or the las vegas serial killer you know those films they're very well shot the framing is decently composed. It's it's well edited. You know, the sound synchronization for the dubbing is pretty good. Uh, I mean, they feel like real movies. Right. This, on the other right. hand, doesn't really feel like a real movie. It feels like Ray was just, you know, fucking uh, around with the camera and shooting. And, it, and, well, and, and, it, and you know, I... And, and I'm all for handheld. I really, I am. If, if it's done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't tell it's handheld. This, you could tell all the shots were handheld. And it was not very good. You could, see, you could see the movement of the of the camera, of them trying to adjust, especially when they were doing that one scene where all of a sudden the gypsy turns evil. And she yeah. starts... And, and they start putting him in their, their dungeon or her whatever uh, scene. And it was it just looked 
got off, I would have cut that scene completely because it just it did not work. It looked like shit. <laughs> yeah, it's and and the other thing though too is like, um, yeah, Ray kind of falls back on his standard go to of like hiring people who are not actors and having yeah. them kind of like do their best to reading off cue cards and yeah yeah and, and and it really shows and it's it's just i mean and that's the thing though too it's like the other, the other thing about this now to go back a, a year or so ago i well real quick though um it's obvious ray made this movie for you know, you know the fans and i i get that but that was like the reason why I was also disappointed in Ghostbusters Afterlife because I, as someone who likes, not to go back to that, if you want to know my opinion about that, go listen to our episode where I, 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 I will admit it, I did shit on the movie, but it's, and I'm certain not a lot of people were happy about that. No, but, but, and, 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 but my point is, is that that movie, you know, I, um, Jason Reitman said that. Uh, you know, that was like a gift to the fans, and I understand that. But just because it's a gift to the fans doesn't mean that it should wallow in um, uh, fandom and uh, nostalgia. And Ray does that with One More Time, where it, it wallows in nostalgia and fandom. And and the reason why I say that is because later on in the movie, we get a scene where people are talking to him about how, you know, they're excited that they all want to, they all want to be a part of his sequel or his right. reboot or whatever of the incredibly strange creatures it seemed very heavy handed at the end yeah yeah like very much ego stroking now perhaps ray did that intentionally you know and and was in on the joke but it just felt like you know like i would have loved to at least have one person on there say you know ray i like your movies but uh, you know the incredibly strange creatures even for fandom is like way overrated you know right. <laughs> you know like, and, and, I, like and the fact that everybody's wearing his t we're wearing the same t-shirt <laughs> yeah they're all wearing incredibly strange t-shirts you know they're all it, it's all you know ego stroking quote unquote and all that shit and it just felt now again yeah okay if it's a movie made for fans then i guess that's where its audience is you know lies but i again i wanted something more yeah <laughs> so, but anyway so not much to dissect in this movie, but uh, basically, uh, we're introduced to Ray, who is playing Jerry. Except now Jerry's a middle-aged man. Uh, somehow he managed to survive his death or whatever from right. the first movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah. Didn't he die at the end of the movie? But I think what Ray was trying to do was, you know. In the movie, in, in the movie, as as he's playing Jerry at middle aged, he goes to his psychiatrist and tells him, "Look, I'm having these dreams where I'm at this carnival and this gypsy is controlling me and I'm killing people. I don't know what's going on." I mean, so I think what Ray was trying to do was create the concept that Jerry, as an individual, existed, but the whole concept of the incredibly strange creatures is nothing but a dream to him. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, maybe, maybe. I mean, that's what I feel like they were shooting for. Okay, but. And he's visiting the psychiatrist that's like explaining all the, the possibilities of what might happen because, you know, Jerry's going through the breaking point. He has no idea what's going on. And then <laughs> late and then later on, we get these like with a Las Vegas serial killer, these meandering sequences of Ray walking around 
Oh my god! There, there's like one moment. There was one moment I kind of chuckled at where he was sitting on a bench, and there's like this homeless dude sitting next to him. Right, right. And Ray tries to give him some money. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the homeless guy was like, "No, I'm not going to have any of that." And, <laughs> and Ray is just like, like trying to be Mr. Nice Guy, like he always was. Right. <laughs> and then, he's so down as like even the bums don't want his money. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's, you know, again, talk about like the, the sad humor behind all that, too, you know, so and then there's a moment in this movie where um, there's a scene where a guy, a, 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 a drunken bum, you know, classic stereotype, he's carrying a bottle and a brown paper bag and drinking and he goes behind this um, dumpster uh-huh. and then suddenly he's killed. He's dead. Right. And, 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 and we have no idea what happened now real quick. That's footage, I believe, from the unfinished Las Vegas Thrill Killers. Because if you look at that, that actually looks like it was shot on film. And it looks like it was from like the early 90s or late 80s. Right. So... Right. And then you do a quick cut to uh, some ambulances and, and, and police cars and, and responding to a call. And you got a little girl outside the storefront with a, like maybe her dad's like, oh my God, look what's happening. And then, yeah. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? <laughs> and so I guess Jerry surmises that he probably killed somebody, but he's not sure. And then once again, he goes to a psychiatrist who's really no big help. Yeah. <laughs> really, in my opinion, and then uh, Jerry decides to visit a, a a gypsy fortune teller, I guess, and you know she pretty much reads the the tarot cards and Shows you know it got, got a good shot of her cleavage. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, Ray knew how to pick them, and uh, even at that age in his life, folks, <laughs> and. Uh, you know she boobs are boobs chris <laughs> yeah yeah i know but still uh no I'm, but anyways so ray's character jerry is trying to figure out what's going on and he you know she tells him that the, he has to follow his destiny and of course i guess his destiny is he's gonna have to kill people and there's a moment where he puts his hat on and it says steckler movies on it I think. <laughs> right, right so once again it's like you're talking about like going in all weirdo directions it's like he's trying to be meta <laughs> yeah 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 it's trying to be meta and it's like you know i don't know ray i don't think meta is like for you i think you know just standing with the, sticking with the standards and practices of like you know just telling you're doing your film is good but i mean the whole meta thing gets a little yeah it's a, <laughs> it's a little much yeah so then we're treated to like random sequences like like he goes to a bar uh Watching Johnny Legend do his rendition of "You're Nothing But a Rat Fink" from Rat Fink a Boo Boo, and uh, and then we get like a bunch of like mm, random sequences where like people are being tortured and they're being turned into zombies, and it's like I it, it, it's just reaching this weird crescendo that I I really have no idea what Ray is trying to do. <laughs> I don't, I don't know think if even Ray did, knew what he was trying to do. I think he yeah, just yeah, said, I think uh, he fuck didn't it. Know either. I think he didn't know either. I mean, do, do you want to take a crack at this, Tim? Or are you just... Oh, <laughs> I, 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 I don't even know where to begin, Chris. I'm like, so how far are we into this? Where he... Oh, they're committing the murder. They're cutting back and forth of, like, the I guess the gypsy and her henchmen. Um, now, apparently, she's raising an army of the 
the zombie like people. Yeah, yeah. And and, it's... and, it, and that looks like crap too because it, it looks like they're, what they're doing is they look like they're going down in um like one of those uh public access TV TV stations hallway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and they're and they're like oh must kill 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 and they cut between that and they put, uh, Ray on the streets with his hood up. Uh, doing a very Marshall Mathers like impersonation, <laughs> <laughs> impersonation, and then he ends up at a pizza parlor, and much like uh, the Las Vegas serial killers, <laughs> the serial killer, <laughs> and they're and they're eating pizza, and they get the the fandom coming in, and they're sitting down, and they're all having pizza, and uh, well, okay, uh, yeah, no, no, they're oh, all eating pizza, but no one knows who Ray is, and then suddenly this young girl pops up out of nowhere and like sits on oh, the yeah, table yeah. and it turns out this young girl is um the granddaughter or like a relative oh, oh yes of uh and, and the the uh, uh the, the, the margie nielsen character that carolyn brandt played in the incredibly strange creatures the dancer was, yeah yeah who was killed by jerry and then she says i'm here to kill you and pulls out a, a knife and proceeds yeah. to stab him while everybody watches in horror and then and then I'll give Ray credit for this because I didn't see this coming. And then what happens to him? He wakes up. It was a dream. It was all a dream. It's all a dream. Jerry doesn't exist. It's literally a day in the life of Ray Dennis Steckler. He had a horrible dream about this whole thing. Apparently he fell asleep at a pizzeria. <laughs> yeah, he fell asleep at a pizzeria. He, I guess he was just really tired. And then he's there and everybody there is wearing incredibly strange creatures t-shirts you know because they're all fans and the young girl that stabbed him in the dream turns out to be this up and coming actress that's asking him when is his sequel to the incredibly strange creatures going to happen she's already willing and able to you know be in the movie and she looks like she could be in a movie <laughs> yeah 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 and uh everybody's everybody there starts giving him suggestions and things like that and hey can i have a bit part in your movie? yeah 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 can i have a bit part in the movie and blah 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 and just, course, a, just one line and a close-up and they give a close-up of the guy I'm like, oh come on <laughs> and yeah it, it, it's ridiculous and, and, and then and then so ray goes back to his video store one or one of his video stores that he's running because I think he had like two or three at the time, and he's talking to the uh, one of the guys working behind the counter, who's serving as his, I guess, his agent of sorts, who was the guy that was the psychiatrist in the dream sequence, <laughs> <laughs> um, telling him. And, and then this, I will be honest, I think this is the best part of the movie right here. I mean, like literally the best part. Like if 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 you watch this movie, just skip it and get to this part because I honestly. This, Honestly, I, I did fast forward through a little bit of the the, the yeah. tracking shots of downtown and the roller coasters. I'm like, yeah, I don't yeah, need yeah, to yeah. See that. So I would say if you do see this see this film, and if you don't like it immediately, just fast forward and get to this part because this is the part that I think is so it's both heartwarming and heartbreaking. Um, so Ray goes to the video store and talks to the guy who's helping him try to get the sequel going. And the guy tells him, yeah, you know, Ray, I mean, there are people that are interested, but we just can't raise the money. No one wants to invest in it. No one wants to do this or that, you know, I mean, and then Ray stands there and he's looking slightly rejected. But he he says, well, you know, um, I'm sure we'll find a way to do it. Um, and then he says, you know, I made Rat Fink a boo boo starting out with 20 bucks and, 
you know, and, and I had friends and family that were able to help and, um, you know, try to get that thing going. And it was like that with some of the other films I made. And, and I'm sure one day we'll figure out a way to get the money for this one. And, and but then he, you know, he, he kind of like gives that gritty, you know, that sort of grit, you know, how you grit your teeth look when you're upset and you, he goes, but God, geez, I just, I don't know why, how it's, we can't get the money for this thing. And it, and the reason why I like the scene is because it's so true to the whole being an independent filmmaker mentality. It's, it, it's very heart It's very heartbreaking. And it's also very heartwarming, heartwarming because it's all about the do or die mentality. You know, Ray knows that he's not going to be given the, the, the money that he's hoping for to make, make a true blue sequel or, or, or a true blue flow up. But, He'll find a way, but at the same time, heartbreaking because, you know, what's it going to take to get the money? I mean, what do I have to do? What do I have to prove myself? You know, I mean, what else do I have to do to get the money? You know, so it's, it's, so it, and it's, it, it's also very heartbreaking because this is a, you know, a cult filmmaker that, yeah, he didn't get rich off of his movies, but, you know, he proved that he was capable of making movies. So it's, you know, and, and in this day and age, when he made this film, you know, guys like Herschel Gordon Lewis were like occasionally going back behind the camera, you know, and, and making a film. Like I think Lewis made the Uh Oh Show and uh, uh, the sequel to Blood Feast, Blood Feast Two, All You Can Eat, and you know, I mean, and and those, you know, he was given, you know, those films he was able to get money for. So it's like, what's not working in race situation? So it, it's like I said, a very heartwarming scene, but also a very heartbreaking scene, and it's I I. I, like I said, if you have anybody out there that happens to come across this movie and watch it and is not into it at all, and I agree, I agree, it, the the most of the film is just hard to get into. But fast forward it and get to this se- sequence, and, and then stop because yeah, and then stop because the yeah. next five minutes do not make any goddamn sense. <laughs> right, right. So, so yeah, he talks to the, his his friend. He says, "Well, I could give you five hundred. He goes, "Well, maybe I'll go to Vegas and let it all ride." And really, yeah. it really gets some production value, and then they cut to a bunch of more more B roll uh, in the, you know extended shots of Vegas and slot machines yeah. and this this sequence here where they go to where he goes to Vegas it totally plays like like footage from like his own home movies. I, I, that's what I wanted to say. It was like somebody with a video camera in a mall that happened to have a um, uh, like a like a, a a casino or some sort with some some gambling machines and some. Somebody won big, but it wasn't Ray. You didn't see Ray put, winning any money, <laughs> so we don't know if Ray ever made. Well, no, money. I think it was his wife because his wife Catherine was there. Okay, so well, that's, she... that wasn't well established. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. They but did the say way how it's shot is basically Ray behind the camera holding it, you know. But in classic, you know, home movie fashion, you know, it's like he's holding it, but he's not quite looking at the eyepiece yet, and there, and he has to get something, so the camera kind of jostles around, and you don't really get to see who who's within the, the line of the shot and everything until he's able to look into the eyepiece and finally get it going. But yeah, it's it's it feels like he just cribbed that from one of his old movies of him and his wife and his kids going to Vegas. <laughs> and I don't like making fun of that, but it right. just... It's but one it, of those things where it's like ah, it, it, I, would ne- I would have never guessed his, his family. Yeah, uh, he didn't make a mention that his, his, his they were they were in town for a few days before they went back to Hawaii. But I would never have 
there was no scene setting that up and you don't see him and his wife together or, or anybody. To, to, it just looks like a, another family. Like, what's that? It could have been Ray's family. It could have been somebody else's family. I'm like, yeah, there's no way of uh, knowing. <laughs> right, right. And then, of course, it ends with a musical montage sequence of um, of um, the um, end music sequence from uh, Rat Finka Boo Boo with like random footage from the incredibly strange creatures and behind the scenes shots of uh, the making of one more time. And I kind of laughed at this more footage from the unfinished Las Vegas thrill killers. And there's a shot where a woman gets killed and she's topless. And when she falls over, all of a sudden a black sensor bar covers up her breasts. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. Yeah. <laughs> a musical montage, obviously the pad, the ending out. And then, and then it cuts to one final shot. And again, I kind of like this because I got what Ray was saying. It cuts to a final shot of him back at the video store of him saying to his friend, one more time. That's all I want. I want one more time, right. which is one more time to make a movie. And then that's it. That's the end of the film. And, you know, it's yeah, so I mean, whatever your opinion is. I mean, I, my opinion is, yeah, I, it's definitely a thumbs down from me, but I do appreciate, I do appreciate the, the final part, the, that one last scene with Ray talking about how he wants to try to make another movie. So, yeah. so, but uh, yeah, it's that's yeah, it's disappointing. It's it's. Yeah, I it's guess you could say the sad part about it is it feels like one of those things where you can say, "Man, you only come so far." <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a it's it's a disappointment, and uh, I don't really recommend it unless you're willing to fast forward it to get to that final scene I talked about. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's. It's a it's a rough go. If you thought the other couple of films were rough, this is extremely rough and and a little sad. Um, for well, me, I I think the the sad part is like I said, cult filmed them. You know, it comes it fits and starts, peaks and valleys. You know, you it's like the fifteen minutes of fame. You have to look at it that way, and you have to move on or try to find some way to keep it relevant. And, you know, I think that's the thing that he was trying to do was when he was trying to put, I, I forgot who said it, but someone said that they, they looked at it like, you know, Ray was trying to keep himself relevant in some way, shape or form within, you know, the cult film community, you know, that, 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 that likes us, that, that some that like his films, which is mm. fine. I agree. But, you know, it's, it's like, there's only so much you can do to keep yourself relevant. You know, mm. you know, after a while, you know, I remember when DVD was new. Okay. And, Something Weird Video got into the whole DVD market in the early 2000s. And the first movie they put on DVD was Blood Feast, you know. And that film, so I, from what I remember reading about, that film sold very well on DVD when it first came out on DVD. And it had been on home video before. You know, it had been on VHS back in the 80s and 90s. So it wasn't a new thing. But, you know, after a while, you know, cult filmed them, it, 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 rises up and then it kind of tapers down a little bit, you know, right. and then sometimes it tapers down a little bit more. So, I mean, I, I get what Ray was trying to do, make himself relevant, but, or try to keep himself relevant in some way, shape or form. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, you know, sometimes you gotta just sit back and, you know, <laughs> enjoy yeah. the seaside a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy That's the, what I would do. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy the fruits of your labor, you know, um, 
I, I, I don't know. Um, anyway, you gave us a thumbs down. I gave it a thumbs down. Um, and it's, like I said, um, it is, it is what it is. I hate using that cliche term, <laughs> but that's what it is. Yep. It is what it is. So however you are, our dear listeners or our lovely audience wants to approach it by all means, do whatever you have and, to do if I, you're willing to watch it. But right. <laughs> and I will add this, you know what? He could have also just, and I think he did it for a little while, at least you remember mentioning it. Or I remember seeing an interview. I think you mentioned it once that he would go to these horror conventions, and then that's what most people do that to supplement their income or or to just to survive. Is they go to these conventions for every other weekend, or they fly out, they sign autographs, they take pictures, yeah. uh, and you can make a good, you can make quite a, you can make a decent living doing that once you've established yourself and and kind yeah. of like if that's the ego boost you're looking for, that's a st- stroke. That's the perfect thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, but there's uh, only so much of that you can do. Oh, too. yeah, I mean, yeah. You have to, you know, I mean, you have to be also be realistic about where things are, too. But I, I I think, relatively speaking, Ray was a little realistic about that. I mean, I think I think it's just I wish I wish he made something else besides one more time. You know, yeah, I, I think he yeah. could have made something else. You know, I mean, there's only so much you can coast with through when you're doing a, 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 a quote extension unquote for the incredibly strange creatures. Right. You yeah, know? Uh, over, something that was over 30 some odd years old at that point. Yeah. Almost, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, something that had, had a whole following, but it wasn't a mainstream hit. Like let's say nightmare on Elm street or, um, yeah. mm-hmm. or something like that. Something where Name recognition, box office recognition would 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 channel that kind. Of, oh shit! You want to make another movie to follow up that that was a smash hit thirty years ago? Sure, here's you know a million bucks. See what you can do with yeah. it. You know, um, and you know to be fair, I mean if 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 Ray wanted to, uh, if he wanted to stick with his goal of being the outsider, the independent, that's fine. I mean that that's 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 the choice you make, obviously. Right. But you know, I mean, but at the same time, it's like I. Again, I wouldn't. If I wanted to make a film, I wouldn't be thinking to myself, maybe I should be making a film that's reflective of a movie that's become a cult, a, a, a minor cult film. Right. You know, that you know, very few that some people know about, but not everybody knows about. But you know, do something completely different, basically. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. But anyways, yeah, it's it's a, yeah. it's kind of a disappointing swan song for him but so, like i right. said i'll give him credit he at least made something uh, you know the last film of his of his of his life before he passed away so i mean on yeah. the one hand yeah i'll give him credit he he did manage to grab that camera and do it again yeah uh all right so chris, chris gives it a thumbs down i give it a thumbs down not to end on a downer let's head out to the ever elusive mail room we've got some fun lined up for you there You doing chris uh i'm pretty good how about you man yeah, good 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 so i made a posting on some of our social media outlets uh one was over at our facebook page and one was over at uh that horse show or timmy at that horse show podcast on instagram and i wanted to just briefly read you some of these funny things uh, i had posted on april 12th i said be a part of the new episode let us know what your thoughts are 
And then there's a picture of the Crypt Keeper saying, yes, you, you. I dare you to replace a word from the. I dare you to replace a word from a horror movie that begins with butthole. So, because <laughs> these are always fun. Uh, Patty chimes in. She goes, "Wrong butthole." <laughs> she, <laughs> she 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 says she also mentions the butthole instead of the ring or the thing. Um, Chris chimes in saying, "In the mouth of butthole or in the butthole of madness." What what we do in the butthole and my bloody butthole? Oh, she's oh my god! American butthole in London. That's that's a good one. Well, I mean, there might be some accuracy to that one. Yes. <laughs> then Anthony chimes in with two of them. He goes, "The hills have a have butthole." Uh, he also says the Amityville butthole. <laughs> James says, "There's something wrong with my butthole." From there's something about Mary. <laughs> um. <laughs> Anthony chimes in again saying, Halloween 4, the butthole of Michael Myers. <laughs> well, you know, Michael Myers is a little bit of a butthole. <laughs> yes, yeah. The I mean, butthole that wouldn't stand- die. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, God. And here, uh, now going to my the, the Instagram or the Instagram one here. Oh, and Mark's, our, our buddy Mark L. Richmond sounded off a few times here. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh uh, uh, Adam Davis actually says, happy butthole to you. <laughs> he also goes, the mighty butthole, or the midnight butthole. Uh, and then he goes, knock at the butthole. It's like, uh, haunting of butthole manner. <laughs> um, let's see here. Oh, uh, my personal favorite, it buttholes from It Follows. <laughs> oh my God. Jesus. Evil but- he goes on. Adam goes on. Evil butthole, evil butthole too. Is there an army of butthole in there too? Oh no, I mean, but that would have been fantastic, Kristen. Uh, You're on the board. Okay. Uh Baz chimes in Ernest scared butthole. <laughs> sometimes, <yeah. laughs> sometimes they come butthole. Oh, butthole of dark. Oh no, no, oh here he goes. Butthole of darkness. <laughs> uh deep blue butthole. And Dave made a butthole. <laughs> uh don't go into the butthole. Uh, one. Uh, That's what we tell Dave. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Mark, Mark, Mark chimes. Don't go in the butthole alone. Uh, one, one dark butthole. Uh, a return, wow, title accuracy. Yeah. I returned a butthole lot. Uh, he needed to get some Larry Cohen action in there. He says. Um, oh, the, and we get another. The hills have buttholes. Deadly butthole from Mark. Oh, oh, this is a personal favorite. I think this becomes one of my favorite right here. Killer buttholes from outer space. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, Mark goes. Oh God. Mark goes on to say again, "Don't be afraid of the butthole." Uh, oh, rawhead butthole. And he goes, "Ouch." <laughs> <laughs> and he and he he's got a few more here. Hold on, Mark's on a roll right now. The butthole of sorority row, king butthole, the nineteen seventy six version. To be clear, <laughs> the butthole of chainsaw massacre. Oh my God. A butthole on Elm Street, butthole activity, children of the butthole, and butthole games. Well, thank you for all those wonderfully um, uh, imagery-driven uh, 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 titles, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he must have a lot of time on his hands if yes. he has to come up with that. And thank you for everyone else that participated in uh, this little um, social experiment of sorts. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we we didn't really like solve anything, but you know. no. But I, I I chuckled and I was like, hey, I'm gonna put that in a segment, you know. Uh, 
So sorry, we didn't receive any emails. So Damn it. reach out to us at thathorrorshowpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our Facebook page and send us a private message through there. Or reach out to me on the Slasher app or um, our Instagram account. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and please, again, it's because of you listeners out there. Spread the word. Tell tell your friends, your family, hell, even your enemies about us. You know, I mean, it's, it's, preferably your enemies. We, yeah, we want to start enemies, off. We, we, yeah. we, we want to start off on a bad foot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the wrong the foot. Way, I should say. The only, you know, the only way we get our show out there is if you know you are faithful fans and listeners will tell friends about us and spread the word and say, Hey, there's this, this, this awesome show that we like. And, you know, if you like hearing two, two wackos talking about um, <laughs> horror movies and science fiction movies and, and, and thriller movies from any era, you know, <laughs> from, from our, what we have on our lineup, you know, check out that horror show podcast, you know, because gotta tell you, I can only put out so much Facebook ad pages here. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to who listens to us, who likes us and, and spreading the word too, you know? So, you know, please uh, keep, keep help, keep helping us fight the good fight. You know, we, <laughs> yeah, our show literally has survived because basically we keep doing it, you know. No, seriously, we don't. Uh, as much as we joke about it, there is truth to this. We don't get paid for this. We don't make any money off of this thing, um, but we do it because we like it. It's fun, you know, and we enjoy what we do. And we hope that you, our listeners, enjoy listening to us too. Right. And because of that, we hope that you will spread good word for us and help us out. All right, kitties. If you want to play along with us for our next episode, we'll be doing that overseas episode part two. First, we'll travel to France to cover High Tension from 2002, which can be found on Tubi. We will then travel to Romania for the film Watcher from 2022, which can be found on Hulu and Shudder. So tune in to fun next month. And we'd love to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at thathorshowpodcast at gmail.com or send us a private message through our Facebook page or many other social media channels. We look forward to hearing from you. Your responses may be read on the air in a future mailroom segment. So for Chris Canning, I'm Tim Kaza. Thank you for joining us in another THSP adventure. And remember to tell your friends that you listen to THSP. We'll talk with you all next month. Good night, everyone. Thank you for listening to THSP Season 9.